0: Hi, I'm Zealand. Like, actually, this isn't AI or anything. And you're listening to the Thousand Hours Podcast.
1: Hello, and welcome to A Thousand Hours. The podcast where sometimes we talk about Football Manager, but other times there is no podcast because we only record it once in a fucking blue moon. I'm Alex Towles, and I'm joined as always by Alex Woodward and Alex Town Brown. It's been christmas since we last recorded it is now 2024 are we feeling optimistic ahead of the new year
2: no
0: Arsenal have lost two on the bounce no
2: (laughs) well lead sacked wayne rooney so that's high point of the year already regardless what happens (laughs) so i'm happy did you just
1: say lead sacked wayne rooney Leeds sacked Wayne Rooney. Oh, so Leeds beat Birmingham, guessing Wayne yeah. Rooney
2: sacked. Oh, you you would have loved it if you were able to come to the game, because after, after Leeds' final goal went in, Leeds fans started chanting sacked in the morning, which he was in the end. But, like, it was very notable that the Birmingham fans were also singing it. It, it, was, it was a fascinating oh, game okay. as well, because I kept an eye on Wayne Rooney during the entire match. And... I'm pretty sure he did genuinely nothing through, through the entire game. He just stood there going, I don't, I don't know.
0: Did you see that his son like dug out the players on an Instagram DM?
2: Oh, di- did he? No. No.
0: <laughs> yeah, someone was messaging Kai Rooney about uh, like what was going on at Birmingham. And Kai Rooney sent like a, a voice note to the mm. guy going, "Yeah, no, it's it's so hard when you've got shit yeah. players who don't j- know j- how just, to just do." Just it. double check: are they the
2: same players who were sixth under John Eustace and now twentieth under Wayne Rooney? Those players, is it?
1: Yeah, that sounds yeah. about right.
2: This is why you don't buy big names, Tom Brady.
0: <laughs> Ooh, I, I, I could feel the hurting. <laughs>
2: It's actually quite funny, because he, he seemed to have a problem with Bill Belichick at the end of his time in New England, and now he gets to see what it's like to do management, and he's not doing it as well. I'm just saying, Birmingham aren't going to win seven Champions Leagues under him.
0: I was going to say, neither can than win. Six, men, so. yeah. Right,
2: yeah.
1: shall we talk about football manager? Probably. Yeah. How many seasons have you lot done since we last played? So, since we last played, I think I've played... Three seasons of Football Manager. So we last spoke, and it was twenty it is twenty seven. It's now twenty twenty. It is now twenty thirty in my game. Uh, where, are you, where are you at, Tam Brown? Um,
0: so I've got two saves to cover because uh, one of them went kind of really quickly uh, because I just uh, I simmed most of it. Um, I, I've played four seasons of the new save and of the Man United save. I think I've completed. Ten. Ten, yeah. And that's that's the end point. It, it was a nice little finish.
2: I have done two seasons, so I'm now at the end of the third season of the save.
1: That's pretty decent, to mm. be fair. Not bad. So, let's start as we normally do with Mr. Tam Brown. You said you've got two saves to update us on.
0: Yeah, um, I'm going to start uh, with uh, Man United, obviously. Um, so, if everyone can can remember what the um, what the point of the save was? It was to destroy the wankiest group of wankers um to ever grace the game, um, and it's gone. I'd say very successfully. Not if you're a Manchester United fan, but if you're a fan of you know arseholes staying out of football, fantastic. Um, relegated from the Premier League, obviously last time with a negative two hundred and sixty-one goal difference and zero points, um, and that left the the championship in twenty twenty four twenty five um, we we did a bit better in the championship uh, you know more games to play um, so better chance to potentially go up and you know fight fight back uh, no we we got a one one draw at Swansea and that was our, our whole points total for the entire season as Man United went down with a whimper with minus two hundred and sixty three goal difference. Nice. Um, and as you can imagine, with, when it comes to the Cups, uh, we went out in the first round of every one that we could uh, technically apply for. So 2025-26, um, a fun little story. York City seemed to have done quite well and we're in League One by the time that we, as Manchester United had dropped down to, so they'd had two successive promotions as we'd had two successive relegations. Um, this was the first time we actually won a game we won two one away at Derby County, three two at home to Exeter City, and two one at home to Mansfield. Uh, we also managed to get four draws, which again, two uh, two at home to Derby County, three three at home to Port Vale, two two at home to Burton Albion, and our first ever time where we didn't concede, didn't concede a goal. Yeah, came away at Carlisle in a nil 0 draw. So the first time that Man United didn't concede in three years was away in Carlisle, um, which is, I think quite a fun little stat. We finished the season with 13 points and a minus 139 goal difference. Um, We would have been the worst team to ever grace league one history. Um, but we were actually being competed for to be the worst team in league one history as port vale finished with 14 points after <laughs> losing nearly every game and had a 107 goals against them in the whole season they finished with a minus 99 goal difference they they were terrible and yet we somehow managed to um to out terrible them york city by the way went up as champions finishing with 101 points so uh became a champion became a championship team after only four seasons this takes me down to the sky bet league two in 2026 2027 where we improved upon our our league one campaign by finishing with 17 points uh we got five wins t- and two draws but 39 losses um our wins came away at harrogate town sutton united away at notts county at home to fleetwood town and at home to scunthorpe united who we were along who we were relegated alongside. We had a 17 points in total, a minus 160 goal difference, and we even managed to crack 201 goals conceded. So as Manchester United uh, disgracefully entered the Football League, we started to have some retirements in the squad, and I felt it was only apt that if they were going to retire and and become a, a coach, that I would sign them up as a coach, which I did for nearly all of them. Um, who did retire the main retirees by the end of the what i call the football league glory days um were oh wait a minute was lautaro martinez and uh richarlison who retired after damaging their spines within six weeks of each other Ow! (laughs) so they, they ended up joining the coaching staff um Pepe also uh, retired at this point, at the age of 45, I think it was. (laughs) Um, I didn't know the game would let him carry on that long. Neither did I. Um, But yeah, here we are. Um, So obviously, National League, 2027, 2028. uh, Very much a National League, National League. You know, you had teams like Tamworth in there. For some reason... um, Gateshead were still there. Scunthorpe again there. Boston United, Yeovil Town and End. So even the teams that are in trouble do end up getting to play Manchester United on a regular basis uh, and not have to rely on a cup draw. Yeah. Um, we had a really, really good season in my view because I've somehow managed to cause administration at Manchester United and they had 10 points deducted. Excellent. Which... And with only one win and one draw across the whole season, Manchester United actually finished with a minus six points and a negative 203 goal difference in the Vanarama National League, which, of course, sent us down to the Vanarama National League North um, for 2028-29, which is when we played teams like South Shields and we eventually played FC United of Manchester, which was the big derby. Um, unfortunately Man United managed to get themselves out of administration only for them to fall back in it and get another minus 10 points deduction in the Vanarama National League North. Uh, we went down with a minus 7 um, points and a negative 236 goal difference. But obviously since we're playing one of our rivals in, in this season, I wanted to to point out the results we got against them. Uh, the first game we played against them was actually the opening game of the season. At home, at Old Trafford, in front of a, somehow, still getting a 56,000 people into Old Trafford, who managed to watch Manchester United lose 7-0 to FC United of Manchester. And then when we went away to FC United of Manchester, uh, we lost 6-0. So a total score of 13-0 against what were then our our most competitive rivals at the time. So we move on to 2029-2030, which is when, because I've got an extended uh, database, uh, Manchester United played in the Northern Premier League. And at this point, they were starting to find their level. Um, Not the players. The players were obviously way too good for the division. The tactic, however, was just terrible. Uh, We still managed to win six games and draw five, getting us a, a nice 23 points across the season. And we didn't have any points deducted for any administration. But obviously, with that sort of points deduction, we still finished at the bottom of the table. But this was the first season that Manchester United didn't concede 100 goals. Which I think is success for them, but maybe not for I'm thoughts. so proud. Excellent. <laughs> uh, to give you a... A sense of who Manchester United were playing. They were playing teams such as uh, Withenshaw Town, which is a small district out in Manchester. Um, they were playing Staleybridge Celtic, again, a small place outside of Manchester. Kears and Ashton, Trafford, which is where Old Trafford is based, and Macclesfield and Hyde United. So, wasn't exactly the best port of call um, for them uh, that season. Which obviously, with relegation, we ended up going down. I think, and I'm I'm trying to find because now you're getting into the um, the the very regionalised divisions, so you have to scroll through a lot of a lot of divisions for the 2030-2031 season. Uh, Manchester United played in the Northern Premier League Division One West, which, as you will find, is actually the eighth tier of English football. Um, so again they've gone far playing against teams such as Mosley, Warrington, Rylands, Hereford as well and uh, the City of Liverpool um, we managed to win seven games and draw two and finish again with 23 points but by this time we did also concede 124 goals a fun fact about this division as well is that we played against Main Road which were a Phoenix um which are a kind of Manchester City break-off team that were founded in 1955 <laughs> and we we did lose to them twice and by very heavy um score lines. so that leaves us in the 2031 32 season where we went into the Northwest Counties um league Premier Division which is um, where we were again relegated with 10 points having conceded 143 winning only one game all season at home to what were then local rivals Ashton United and that leaves us uh, into the 2032-33 season where we reached the bottom of the divisions Manchester United had become one of the worst teams uh in football. Uh and to give you a sense of how that season went um it wasn't it it wasn't successful in my view but it was successful for Manchester United as they managed to stop the rot. They won 15 games, drew eight and lost 11, finishing with a minus 1 goal difference after conceding 67 goals, finishing with 53 points, making it to eighth sorry seventh place in the northwest so northwest counties division 1 south um but they couldn't get promoted and because all the real players that i've decided to use over the save have reached retirement age um the only player that is currently playing for the squad is alejandro garnacho he is 29 at this uh, moment in time and he is the only player that is currently locked in at Manchester United on, on a contract. But he is, no one wants to pick him up because his form is just terrible. And my coaching staff uh, are having to find more creative ways to hire people um, that do retire. But a lot of them have actually just retired and have not gone into coaching, which again, Can you blame them? big win. Why would any of them want I'm anything to do with football ever made again? Them hate- yeah. <laughs> And it is, it is nice to know that I have destroyed the careers of players like Anthony and Pepe and Anthony Gordon and uh, the number five at Arsenal. All of them cannot show their faces in Manchester. They can't show their faces in football anymore because they have disgraced what it means to be uh, a player or even associated with football. So... I consider this save to be a success as Manchester United got relegated down to level 10 of the English football pyramid and found their level. Um, Hopefully, once Alejandro Garnaccio retires, which will hopefully be in a few years, um, I'm going to leave Manchester United and see whether or not they can rebuild. Um, But the best part of the save has to be the fact that we were doing so poorly that, in fact, we couldn't afford to stay at Old Trafford. (laughs) <laughs> and are such playing games at the Carrington Training Centre. <laughs> Manchester United have to use their training ground as their home ground. Oh, I was
2: gonna ask that, I was like, it'd be so funny if they have to ground share with FC United to Manchester. I'd love or Trafford FC or someone like that. Or even better, that Main Road FC. That'd be funniest thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it would be amazing if so, but no, they the only thing they could afford was their own training ground. <laughs> So they're having to play next to a car park, basically. Um, And that's where I ended my my Manchester United save, because I thought, you know what, I've done what I wanted to achieve with them, um, and they are at complete irrelevance, where they're at a, I think, at a division where they can't even qualify for the FA Cup. So, (laughs) Finn. So what
2: is like Mark Goldbridge and all those Man United YouTubers are doing now? Have they have they moved on to like Stockport County or Oldham Athletic, or someone like that? I don't
0: I don't know. I I hope that Mark Goldbridge is still fuming as um, as Manchester United lose to Run Cornwall with, with his two subscribers now
2: that. because nobody cares about them anymore.
0: Yeah, they've they've just become irrelevant. Um, to put to put it in perspective, the the level at which Manchester United are playing. They're playing teams such as FC St Helens. Wow. And Stockport Town. Not Stockport County. Stockport wow. Town. And South Liverpool. Um, Is it bad
2: that I don't know who I want to win between Man United and FC St Helens? Because that's
1: that's my nightmare, <laughs> that.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I I wish I knew as well. Um, I like to
1: imagine that the Mark Goldbridges of the world are just like wrecks of people, like <laughs> emotional wrecks. Oh, like yeah. They still make their YouTube content, but it's just them crying in a corner, wondering <laughs> what cruel gods they have angered to incur this wrath on themselves and everything else. I can answer love.
2: that. Alex Tamp Brown's forgot they've angered. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, that is the correct answer. They... You have annoyed Alex Tam <laughs> Yeah. And that's what um, you deserve.
0: To give you a, a, a sort of flavouring as to um, how how Manchester United as a club are, uh, they had to downgrade to become an amateur side um, because they couldn't afford to be semi-professional. Their estimated value as a club is £2 million, which I think is due to their training centre and... Yeah. That's about it. Um, there, You know, when you can see a team's league history and it's just, uh, it's just a steady graph going down and down with red point relegated, red point relegated, red point relegated. Mm. Um, yeah, the average ticket price to go watch a Manchester United game now is £7 and an average season ticket price is £44. So I have saved football in a way yeah, because Manchester United aren't charging ridiculous fees to go and see them. And I think that is. Can a I good just thing, ask?
2: You said right? that they're now an amateur side, implying that they're not in real life. However, when I look at Man United, I'm pretty sure they are very amateurish. <laughs> I mean, that Jadon Sancho transfer fast would imply that.
0: Indeed, indeed. For some reason, we still have top corporate facilities at the Trafford Training Centre in uh, in Manchester. But apart from that, everything else is basic. So youth recruitment, junior coaching, youth facilities, training facilities are all just basic. Um, we have a youth level of four, which means we have one of the worst youth academies in the country. Um, and I want to to go on to our supporters page in the, um, you know, because you can find it in the club vision now. You can see what our supporters are. We still have 12%. Hardcore supporters.
1: God, I respect
2: them
0: so much. (laughs) So, so do I.
1: No, Um, you don't. We've already established in in the universe that one of them is Mark. That's a good point. That's a
2: good point.
0: We have thirty five percent core supporters, and Manchester United has become a family club now. As twenty five percent of our supporters are family people, um, we have zero supporters on our season ticket waiting list. And we have a hundred people who are season ticket holders, but weirdly enough, we have fifteen point three million followers on social media. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't you want to
2: follow us? It's fascinating.
0: <laughs> it is brilliant. I I went and checked on the um on the in-game editor. And we have a um, a reputation which can go up to 10,000, which means you're the most reputable club in the world. Uh, Manchester United currently sits at 750 of reputation, which means they are probably one of the worst supported clubs in England by reputation, I suppose. Mm. Uh, I'm going to check it against the the club list that you can find.
2: Um what, whilst you do that, I did have I, I did find it funny when you were talking about youth recruitment. The, there will be kids going. Man United. I've, I've never I've never heard of them. Who are they? And their granddads going. Back in my day, they were the best side in the no. country, and they're going. No, they can't they're, be. They're like amateurs.
0: Their dad is going. Their I dad, used yeah. to watch them. They were fantastic in the
2: Champions League. They were champions of England so many times. It's like, no, come on!
0: Never. Um, but to to give you a flavour as to how the Premier League has done without Manchester City, uh, without Manchester City, without Manchester United, and as you can see, I'm furiously clicking through the leagues to be able to to get there. Um, Reading are in the Premier League now. Um, Arsenal, Manchester City have been the dominant forces since manchester united left arsenal won the title in 23 24 and out of the 10 premier leagues that have been available to them they have won one two three four five six they've won seven and manchester city have won three leeds united placed third and are now considered a top premier league team in terms of the championship that's got a very, very weird now. Um, the Championship now has West Ham, Derby, Nottingham Forest, Luton, Everton and York City occupying the top six. But I want to draw your attention to the fact that Wrexham are also in the Championship. But what makes it even better is that a team that were actually destroyed by poor ownership and poor guidance, um, have actually their Phoenix club have made it into the Championship. And Berry are now one of the biggest teams in the Northwest. Excellent. And because of Berry's rise, they never actually got to play against Manchester United. <laughs> Which makes it even more perfect, I think. This this destruction of Manchester United. Please and I've no-
2: please tell me with Berry. The last time they were in the second tier, I think Neil Warnock was the manager. Please tell me that Neil Warnock is back. One last job. Back with Bevy.
0: <laughs> um, I'm no, just one near... more job, Shavin. <laughs> I'm afraid Neil Walker's uh, probably probably, definitely retired. Interestingly enough, they do have Simon Weaver as manager, who is currently the manager oh, wow. of uh, Harrogate yeah. Town. So um, they've done really well. Uh, as Manchester United's graph goes in a very steep decline, Berry's actually goes in a very steep incline um, as they got promoted all the way from the county leagues all the way through into League One, which they won last, uh, in the season before, 2032-33. Very decent. So, Berry have done remarkably well. Is there anything you want me to have a look at whilst whilst I'm here? Um, The FA Cup is pretty boring, apart from Brentford winning it in the first season. Um, The Carabao Cup, again, very, very normal i suppose west ham won it once crystal palace won it once um it was also the last trophy that man united won before i destroyed them
2: can you see if the carabao cup had any other draws in a supermarket
0: I'm, I'm afraid i can't i'm oh, afraid i can't that's a shame um but manchester united do hold the um the records for all of the losses in each division that they've played in which yes. i think is the best thing um, to have come out of this, um, to have come out of this save. So Sifin is the is the Manchester United save. I've tried to keep it as um, as quick as I could. So I d- I downloaded a, a level thirteen database because that replaced the level ten that uh, Dan FM databases have done. Uh, cheeky shout out to him. And I realised I could play as my actual local side, Sherburn White Rose. Um, and For those of you who who aren't familiar with Sherwin White Rose, because let's be frank, who will be? Who's listening to this? Um, They are basically one of the smallest teams that are playable, I'm sure of it, because uh, I'm going to send a photo in to um, our little group chat just to give um, Alex and Alex a flavour of what their ground looks like. And it is... um, how to describe it? It's very... I'm going to go with small before I've seen it. Park football. Um, this is the best photo of the ground that exists. Um, here you go. And unfortunately, that is what I took over.
2: Wow. Yeah, It's, just, it, it's, it's a park.
0: It says That's Alex sent a photo. It does say Alex sent a photo. Wait, is it because not come it up on yours? That, that's just uh, a park. No, sometimes
1: when my Facebook is slow, it just says the words "Santa photo." It doesn't show me. It's the it, image.
0: it's a park with a breeze block, um, <laughs> with a with a breeze block dugout. Ah, there it is. Yeah, ah, that's like
1: watch it town level. Good.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is bottom bottom wrong, um, and I've played four seasons with with Sherban White Rose trying to implement.
1: Wait, uh, Alex, is this so? This is a. Uh, Level thirteen database.
0: Level thirteen. Can you look fresh? up Watch It Town? By the
2: way, that, that team is so small, Sherman White Rose, that you could actually take them over in real life, I'm pretty sure. Because i had, I had a mate who, who took over our local club and I'm pretty sure they're about the thirteenth level. Like no oh, football yeah. experience, he just like said, Yeah, I'll manage them. And and so he did.
0: Yeah, um Watch It Town are in the Somerset uh county leagues yes which um i think i believe is um level 13 i think it might be i have no idea you have to realize after the four seasons to make the game faster i've turned off the leagues that i've been promoted from after every season good um so yeah i think watch it town are in the uh The the smallest division, shall we say. I don't want to disrespect Watch It Town, but yes. (laughs) Somerset County League Division 1, which I think is the level 13. Um, So it's that same level, to put it (laughs) on perspective for you. Uh, Alex Woodward, it means we're probably playing teams like Bentley if we were in the Doncaster Leagues. So there you go. Anyway... So four seasons in, I've done actually quite well, um, because obviously when it comes down to that level and those sorts of databases, you have to add players to playable teams when you're setting up the leagues. Otherwise, you're just left with all the greyed-out players and uh, people that don't exist. We did really well, because I want to keep this as short as possible for for you guys. And let's be honest, most people listening won't have ever heard of teams like um, Yorkshire Amateur or all the other teams that we play at, at, the division that we play at. Um well, we could probably figure out what Yorkshire amateur are about from the
1: name to be fair.
0: A team based in Leeds that are amateur play, uh, players who play in Yorkshire. There yes. you go. Uh, <laughs> so we won the the West Yorkshire Premier <laughs> Division. Uh at a at a kind of count but that's because I think we played a tactic that wasn't 4-4-2 uh, as every other team did. And most teams for the majority of the season, because there are so many teams in England, most teams didn't actually have a manager uh for the entirety of the season. So we won that at Canter. We we then got into the I think it was the West Yorkshire Premier League. I'm trying to remember which what the what the division structure is. But either all we re- we reached level twelve, we did really well, we finished in the playoffs, we got promoted, and then we got into the I'm trying to think, think of it now, level 11. So we're still 10 promotions from the Premier League. Again, finished in the playoffs, got promoted, and that's when we reached level 10, uh, which is the season we are in now. Um, so to make that... So it's comparable to where Manchester United were in my Manchester United save. Does that make sense? Yeah, Brilliant. <laughs> and at this point we are almost at season end, which is uh, good for us, I suppose. Um, we are now in the North Northern Counties East League Division One, which is level ten. And we're playing teams such as Clay Cross, AFC Manfield Mansfield, uh Glass-Houghton Welfare, Nairsborough, Harrogate Railway and Wasborough bridge um we're doing quite well we're 26 games um gone we were second in the league can you can you guess how the other uh no, not 20 because it's not 24 team league it's a 23 team yeah. league believe it or not can you guess how well we've done out of the last 18 games
2: either you've won all 18 or you've lost all 18 I'm going to go with one. One all 18.
0: Well, to give you a. a, We were doing. We were blitzing the league alongside Retford United. Yeah, one all 18. Yeah, both of us were on um, 88 points by the uh, 26 game margin, which is. Wow. That's a bit. Yeah, we were well clear of Glassout and Welfare in third place. We then went on a. Unbeaten streak that can only be described as the most mid-thing ever.
2: You drew all 18 games.
0: We drew eight on the bounce.
2: Nil-nil. Each of them.
0: Seven of them were nil-nil. <laughs> <laughs> Seven of them were nil nils. I don't think and you ever th-
2: get to criticise Tony Pulis ever again, to be honest.
0: <laughs> we went undefeated and we didn't concede in eight games, is it? <laughs> Sorry, in seven games is how I how I like to think about it.
2: Glass half full.
0: Glass full. Uh, we then got a, a one-all draw as uh, we confirmed Redford winning the title um, with a very, very good points margin. They've lost one game all season and they've not dropped any more points. Um, so, yeah, we're still in the playoffs. We're fourth now and we've got one more game which could get us into second, rather than in fourth, because that gets you a better draw in the playoff semi-final, um, and that's where my sherman white rose save is is at at the moment. Excellent.
1: Uh, are, are you planning on taking them all the way up then, as, be- as best you can?
0: I'm I'm going to try and get them. My, my first get aim is to get them into the national league system, which we are three promotions away from. Um. And then it's about getting them into the EFL, and then it's about getting them to the Premier League. And then it's about getting them to win the Premier League and then win the Champions League. So this is a twenty season. So the answer is yes. Yeah. But <laughs> I have mini goals that I need to achieve because we're so far down towels. <laughs> fair point.
1: Fair point. I went like when I first started at Taunton and like my first goal was just beat Yeovil. <laughs>
0: My first goal, well, I couldn't even get relegated because there was no relegation turned on from level 13 because of the database that had been built. So my first goal was don't finish bottom. <laughs> Did you succeed? I won the title. Well, hey. So I, I, I didn't finish bottom, but I've I've only ever gone up through the playoffs ever since, which is um, infuriating. Fair enough. So yeah, that is that is my Sherman White Rose save. All well and good. We're still averaging the worst crowds in each league that we attend. So we've got 83 people regularly coming to our games and no season ticket holders. Did you say what tactic you've been using? Because everyone else is using a 442. Remember you said that. So I um I've been trying to replicate my my famous one centre back tactic. Oh good. Um, but I wanted to make it even with with all the changes in um in the in the tactical side of of Manche- uh, not Manchester United, of uh, football manager um, this season. Um, I wanted to try and make it as as attacking as possible. Mm-hmm. So I started off with. Is your one centre back libero on support? <laughs> it is. <laughs> so I started Good. off with um, three centre backs two wing-backs, a central midfielder, three attacking midfielders, and one striker. Right. Yeah. And slowly but surely, what I started to do was I moved the wing-backs up into midfield, and I moved the wide centre-backs to be Segundo Valante's. Right. And then I made... And the one centre-back was already... A, the central centre-back was already a libero, as uh, my players were starting to learn the formation. Um, it's gone quite well, but I think because most players have about five finishing and about two composure at this at this level even at level 10 um we don't concede the chances that we should concede from right so it's about making sure that when we get up to the premier league we still have that five center back formation that is fully trained i can only imagine
1: like you've got your one center back and he steps forward into your midfield line, except it's not your midfield line; it's your back line because there's no one behind him. No, I mean hey, my... you get you camp out like not just in the opposition's half in the opposition's
0: third. Oh yeah, I mean, I, in my head canon, I, I, Big Baz is what I call our um, our core fan who comes, mm. and I just imagine him shouting from the other side of the park that we play in. Going to me, what are you doing playing those Segundo Volantes? Stop with the Libero, go back to 4 4 Oh,
2: yeah. You know, when I've gone down to like football of that tier, that's what all the fans are saying. You know, because they, they really love their Segundo yeah. Volantes, or oh, sorry, hate their Segundo oh, Volantes yeah. and Liberos. You know, it's all they talk about in the, in the bar.
0: It, I mean, what else are you gonna gonna get at the um what I call the cross of North, of, of Yorkshire? Because Sherburn yeah. geographically is situated at the bottom of North Yorkshire, about three miles away from West Yorkshire, about four miles from South Yorkshire, and about five miles from East Yorkshire. So, yeah.
2: In all fairness, if he does shout back, the you all the players might shout back because I went to a game in a, in the fourteenth tier. Uh, when i was like 13 and i i heckled this one player he started an argument back i said he said <laughs> oh you want to you want to prove how tough you are i was oh yeah you're gonna fight a 13 year old? that's gonna make you look tough <laughs> <laughs> that's what that level of football is all about
0: <laughs> yeah um and because um we've just had youth intake day. I've, I told the guys whilst we weren't recording, uh, my star player has come through who's Irish, and his name is Niall O'Neill. Uh, <laughs> Great name. He He's perfect, though, because he can play DM, CM, and AMC as well. So he can play all across the the places that I need him to play in the midfield. And that is what I've focused on when it comes to youth development. Not mm-hmm. about developing the players by playing them but making sure that they're all used to playing in the positions that are available on the pitch so if anyone comes through as like a left back or a left wing back i have to train them as a left midfielder or say vice versa for right side as well if anyone comes through at the center if they're a center back i have to choose the top center back prodigy to play as center back and the rest have to be trained as segundo volante dms um so it's all about training the players um but when you've got players who have got the best attribute being a 7 it's it's like work, it's like trying to train rats not to eat cheese it's <laughs> it's difficult right oh
1: christ like training rats not to eat cheese what a metaphor
0: that's the title of the episode there isn't sorted <laughs> <laughs>
1: Absolutely
0: sorted. I'll tell you about my star player at Sherban. His name is Gary Jenkins, right? And he came through as a um a central midfielder. And over the mm-hmm. four years, I've managed to train him to play every position in our tactic. He has become the ultimate utility man. But the best part about it is, is when you train a player in a certain position on FM, it only shows the central position of that line if you know what i mean so if yeah. it's not like you've trained him as a right center back you've just trained him as a center back so if you go onto his positions tab on his profile he has a green cross that is just <laughs> like that on his positions tab and he can't play any other positions he can't even play wing back he can just play all across the midfield and then all across all down the central line of the the team he's not that good but He's mine, and that's what counts.
1: That's what matters.
0: He can play in the middle. That's it. He's got 12 goals and 10 assists this season already, so he's he's not doing too badly. Oh, fair play to him. Yeah, he's got an average rating of uh, 7.55, which is... Um... Oh, that's not bad. He'll be pinched by a higher level club, surely. If this, if this was real life, he'd be in the National
1: League South by now.
0: Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He would be the ultimate utility man for any sort of National League team. And speaking of the National League, um, the FA Cup this year has been a an interesting ride in the fourth season um, because uh, I don't know how to describe it, but basically a non-league team is going to win the FA Cup. Right. Don't okay. ask me how. Don't ask me why. But when it came to the third round, I noticed that actually quite a lot of non league teams had got to the third round. And they all pulled out like big teams, big sides. Um, so the highest team that was left in the quarterfinal were Stoke City of the Championship.
2: Of course.
0: And the teams that have made the semi final are York City. Harrogate Town of the National League, Borham Wood, and Grimsby Town.
2: Of course. Are you sure you're not looking at the FA Vars?
0: No. This is the <laughs> This is the Emirates FA Cup. Um what happened in the third round was um the Premier League teams were all kept apart, right? In a very odd, weird move. And they all lost. They all lost all of them. <laughs> all of them lost. 20, oh, wow. 20 Premier League teams lost in the first round that they could play in in the FA Cup to teams like Cardiff, uh, Northampton, Blackburn, Ipswich. Um, w- was there a round of
2: Premier League fixtures the day after, meaning that they all started like under twelve or whatever?
0: I think there was a round of Premier League fixtures about two days beforehand. So oh, wow. <laughs> so it absolutely killed
2: and we think 2008 was fun, it's, it's got nothing on this
0: well that's the thing because I think in the in the data, uh, in the editor you, you set the fixture priority, so the fixture priority for the lower leagues is low and the FA Cup is high but also the Premier League is high so the Premier League didn't get deferred, the FA Cup didn't get deferred and the Premier League teams all went out which left us in the fourth round with um, Seven National League teams, uh, five Championship teams, and the rest were all from like League One and League Two. <laughs> so, one of uh, York, Harrogate, Grimsby, and uh, Boran Wood are going to be in the Europa Conference, no, the UEFA Europa League, because of some weird confluation of circumstances. <laughs> Okie dokie, we're back. Just had a
1: quick unannounced break while I got everything set up so I could get ready to talk about my save. Uh, and while I was gone, I quickly listened back to our last episode to remind myself where I was when you last heard about it. And the answer was: is, i just become manager of Nigeria. So it was 2026, not 2027, 2026 when I last left you. Um... I'd resigned from Cape Town Spurs and taken the Nigeria job. It's now 2030, January 2030, and I am no longer manager of Nigeria. I'll give that spoiler. So let's, let's start off with Nigeria. Uh, we're going to skim over it quite quickly because I, it's about been about a month since I actually played this in-game.
0: Was, was the Nigeria mm-hmm. job a scam and was it offered to you by a Nigerian prince?
1: It was not a scam. I can't confirm if it was... I think it was offered to me by the, I don't know, the head of football for Nigeria, which might well have been the Prince, I don't know. But um, it's not a a scam. I did, in fact, manage Nigeria. Um, I took over from Nigeria in August 2026, I believe. Something like that. Um, August, September. Um, Managed them through the back end of 2026. We played four games, two in October and two in November uh which we won 3 and lost 1 which got us qualified for the African Cup of Nations in 2027 we played one friendly in march against venezuela which we won 3-0 um then we played two more African Cup of Nations qualifying groups games which we won then we won two qualifying games for the chan which i don't know what that is um African Championship of Nations, which is a different thing. I think, oh yes, I remember. So the African Championship of Nations is different from the African Cup of Nations in that it's exactly the same thing, but you can only play players who play in your country. So I could only pick players who played in Nigeria. So that was fun. And it got a lot of, <laughs> because the game isn't quite like prepared for that. I don't think. I had, like, Victor Osheman complaining that I hadn't picked him. And I was like, sorry, you will be back in the next squad, promise. Um, and then we skipped forward another few months. Uh, and I played some the, the World Cup qualifiers, which we won against DR Congo and Liberia. And then we got to play the African Cup of Nations in November, December 2027. Uh, we won our group, winning all three games against N- Angola, S- Congo, and Senegal, beating Senegal, who are one of the favourites, 3-0, which may be quite confident going into the knockouts. Uh, we then beat South Africa, which is quite bittersweet in the uh, second round, winning 4-0. Uh, and then we unfortunately lost against Egypt, who uh, beat us on penalties, a double from Victor Oshiman. Uh, was cancelled out by goals from Omar Kader and Ibrahim Adel um, before they beat us on penalties, which is very sad. Uh, And we went out of the African Cup of Nations. And at that point, at the end of 2027, I resigned from my position as manager of Nigeria. But I haven't been telling the whole story because at the end of May 2027, I took a job in Japan. I became the manager of Nagoya Grampus 8 in the Japanese J1 League, and from May until December 2027 I did this alongside Nigeria. I was managing a club side and a country at the same time, and the international breaks did not line up at all, so after AFCON I uh, handed in my resignation at Nigeria. But, you will be wondering, how on earth were things going at Nagoya? Well, when I took over, they were like just hovering above the relegation zone. Uh, and then we went on like two points per game pace from uh, it's, it's, an, it's a February to December season, roughly. So um, joining in May is joining like about a third of the way through the season, about halfway, third to halfway through the season. Uh, and through the second half of the season, we were on comfortably like two points per game pace, which picked us up from uh, from being a relegation threatened side to our eventual finish of eighth out of 20 teams. Uh, we won 14, drew 13 and lost 11 with 55 points from 38 games the vast majority of which were got in the second half of the season. A bit of a preface here, because managing in Japan in this save is very weird. Um, I didn't have the Japanese leagues loaded initially when I first booted up this save. Uh, I added them two seasons in, and so the teams got populated by a few real players, but then also some regens, and so when I arrived in 2027... The squads of most Japanese sides were very, very strange. You had, like, a few real players who were, like, in their mid to late 20s, early 30s, you know, normal players. But then you also had a load of 18, 19, 20-year-old regens who, because the J1 League has quite high rating and because Japan is rated quite well in the game in terms of youth rating, were really good. So, my starting 11 was, like, 50% real players who weren't great, and then 50% ridiculous wonderkids, which was really, really fun. Um, the standout up wonderkids, who obviously are regen, so these names aren't going to mean anything to you. Uh, Takuya Kitamori, who was 18 when I joined, um, is a left-back who has got, like... Mm, Ideal, almost, stats to be an inverted wing-back. Like, pretty ideal. He can't cross, but he can do basically everything else you ask for from wing-back. So that means he inverts to me. Um And he just came into the world as like one of the best left-backs in the league at 18. Uh, another example is Matasaka Jafoku, who, who came into the world at 17 as one of the best attacking midfielders slash central midfielders in the league. Well, a, a, a league average attacking midfielder slash central midfielder with potential to become one of the best in the league. Uh, he was amazing. Um, but yeah, there, there's just a, a few, th- those were the guys that were like here when I arrived. Uh, and I, I, my aim with this team in making them into the J1 league power that they should be, um, has been basically to recruit as many of these regents as possible. Um, alongside them, I brought in some foreign players. Uh, Japan has some foreign player rules. You can have a maximum of four foreign players in your start- that That's the cup. It's five for the league, sorry. Um, so maximum of five foreign players in your starting eleven for any league game, four for any cup game. Uh, and so I quickly went inside a load of foreign players who are free agents and then quickly realised I couldn't play any of them. Um, the star foreign players who I brought in, um, one of which was Oscar Maritu, who is a name you may remember from last episode. He was my starting striker at Cape Town Spurs. Um, he was released by Cape Town Spurs at the end of his contract in 2027. So I remember I left Cape Town Spurs in 2026. A year happened, and then I became manager of Nagoya, even though it was like a day in real life. Um, because there were only, like, five games of Nigeria. Um, so he was released by Cape Town Spurs. I picked him up on a free at the Goya, halfway through the Japanese league season. He slotted in as my starting striker. Then a name that might actually mean something to people, Connor Metcalf. Um, I picked up on a free. He was released by Prosen... Prussia Munster in Germany. Who would re-
2: who would Prussian. release Conor Metcalf? Boo! Prussia.
1: Saint Pauling actually, but we'll get to that. Oh, um, beast! I, I, I oh, am disgusted. Beef. I am outraged. So he, so Saint Pauling, he released Conor Metcalf at the end of his three-year deal. He went to Prussian Munster, where he played two years, and then was released in twenty twenty-seven. Well, I picked him up at Nagoya, and he's slotted in as a perfectly, perfectly good leading J1 League player um, at 29 years old. Still picks up Australia caps. Excellent Can I ask Woodward um, a question?
0: Has, um, has Connor shown the ability to be able to be a star player in the Japanese J1 League whilst he's been playing for St. Pauli? He's shown the
2: potential to win the Ballon d'Or. To be honest, and I don't want to. I don't want to overreact, but he is fantastic. <laughs> to, to be honest, I, I will admit this year he has. I think he's been outshone by other well he's, players. He's
0: had to travel over to Japan to play some games, mate. You know, cut him some. I, slack. I will
1: say that roughly. Like, and Woodward will disagree with this, and I like because Conor Metcalf is better than this in real life, but in-game, in he's been absolutely battered by the fact that Germany were also not in the game when I first loaded them up, uh. Uh, which I think is why he was released on a free and ended up at Munster. Um, but in-game, being a good J1 League player roughly translates to being a League 1 to Championship level player. Um Like, for those of you in the English leagues, (laughs) Uh, so... Sorry, I
0: I don't understand. What's a a League One? Uh, It seems a bit (laughs) far away from me. (laughs)
1: Well, it's the top
0: league of of, of Japan, of course. Uh, But yeah,
1: Conor Metcalf roughly translates as a decent League One player, I'm pretty sure, Uh, in-game. I'm sure he's much better than that in real life. Uh, Another player who is much better than that in real life, but in-game is apparently just like a middling league one to like bottom level championship player is Tatum Mengi who I picked up on a free in that first window as well from Luton after his four-year Luton contract expired he wasn't even playing for Luton after they got relegated back to the championship so that's probably why his career stalled a little bit um but it did mean that I was able to pick him up and he immediately plugged in as like one of the best players in the league um at centre back for me, and he has been very, very good. So, uh, we've got a weird hodgepodge squad of a few foreign stars, a few like real homegrown players who are like fine, and then absolute wonder kids who just kind of spawned out of the ether in the game. They took us to eighth in the first season, then in the second season, the 2028 season. Uh, I wanted to have a proper crack at the league title because I reckoned I could do it. Uh, It was not going to be easy. I was going to have to compete with Kashima Antlers, who were putting players on orders of magnitude more money than I was. So um, looking through their squad now, they've got a centre-back on 43 grand a week. My highest paid player is on 24 grand a week. That's Taden Mengi and that's a new contract. When he first signed for me he was on like 15 grand a week. So but there's an order of magnitude in terms of paying power that the Kashima Antlers have over us. Uh, and then also like clubs like Vissel Kobe, Hiroshima, uh, just huge teams I'd have to get one over on in order to win the Japanese league. Uh, in order to do so, I cracked down on my transfers and tried to Bring in, build a Japanese super team. I bought in uh, some, bought in a couple, basically I, I rebuilt the team. I signed a centre back from Cape Town Spurs who was a regen, uh, who came in as immediately good enough to play in the J1 league. I signed a few more of those really good regens. I signed Yuta, Nak- Yuta Nakayama, who in real life is at Huddersfield. Uh, he came in as uh, just. To play as a natural inverted fullback. Um, oh, I also forgot I found a goalkeeper. Uh, Richard Adada, who. Um, wait, no. Francis Uzo, that's the goalkeeper, um, who people in real life might remember as the Omanoya goalkeeper, who was a massive Manchester United fan and made the news for playing at Old Trafford for Omanoya.
0: We also made the news for. The 2018 World Cup, where he played really, really well. And that is Mm. a very niche piece of knowledge from me. Uh, So, yeah,
1: Yeah, I picked him up um, from Ormanoya when his contract expired and plugged him in for us. He then played two seasons and I sold him to Cyprus for 850 grand. Uh, I'll come on to his replacement later. Um, So. The big signing was Hiroto Kato, who I brought in for 1.2 million pounds. Also I had so much money, I had like 15 million pounds to spend when my entire squad like was on average worth about 1 million a player It was crazy. nowhere, nowhere near spending all of that, but I did spend 1.2 million pounds of it on Hiroto Kato who immediately came in as the best player in the team at 18. Like he was one of the best like regen, like just straight away amazing regen. This guy could play championship, probably got Premier League potential, and he's just chilling with me in the J one league. He's natural uh attack natural number ten, a natural striker, good player. Um and he got seventeen goals and ten assists in twenty twenty eight as we powered on to the league title. Um, we did it on the final day, pipping Kashima Antlers. We had a ridiculous run to start the season. Then we had a rocky April and rocky May where we went like win, draw, win, draw, win, draw. Um, And we also lost both games against Kashima in the league, which really doesn't help. And it was really, really tight all the way through the season. Coming into the last five games of the season, we were ahead by like a point. Uh, and Kashima antlers were be- breathing down our necks we won the fifth last game of the season 6-0 and i'm like right we're fine but then we lost the fourth game 2-1 and Kashima won over- overtaking us and i was like oh my god they've done a man city they won like every game through the back half of the season we bottled it third game we won they lost Second game, we won, they drew. Last game, we won, they also won. We finished on level on points, on 87 points. We pipped them on goal difference because we had a ridiculous goal difference because we were by far the best team in the league. We had 61 goal difference to their 42. Scored 94 goals in 38 games. Um, But we pipped them by 20 goals uh, to win the J1 League um uh, and yeah that was the 2028 season in january 2029 i bought carl heim who was at plymouth and was available my scouts just kept saying sign him sign him sign him so i did i also signed um yoichi sudo who is a ridiculous center back regen and um tatsuke tatsuke saruta who is a ridiculous right wing regen um, and they just came in and solidified us as the best team in the league, even though we're not technically the best team in the league. Uh, also, you're going to love this. Um, because we had uh, our amazing striker, Hiroto Kato, and we also had Oscar Maratu, who was one of the best players in the team, I played a 4-4-2. My, my tactic is called 4 4 into. 2 I had advanced, Oscar Maratu as an advanced forward, um, Hiroto Kato as a deep lying forward. Remember, he's a natural ten as well. So like that's where that's his natural position. I had Kitamori, what the wing back prospect, as a wing back on attack, and he got fifteen assists in twenty twenty eight in the league, and six goals as well because he was on pens. Um, like he's just absolutely absurd. Uh, a midfielder Metcalf and Jafuku, absolute battered them with a four four two. Uh, but I, by, like, the end of that season, I was honestly getting kind of bored of playing in Japan. Like, the weirdness of it kind of takes me out of the game a little bit. The fact that we're only five seasons in and half of my team is, like, ridiculous regens and that's just not how it works in real life at all. It's kind of it, it took me out of the save in a way which I wasn't enjoying. And I didn't even get, even though I won the league, I didn't go straight into the Asian Champions League because the Asian Champions League follows the European calendar, at least in game. So I wouldn't have been able to play in the Asian Champions League until September 2029. And so by the end of 2028, when I'd like come in and done like a two-season, just amazing turnaround, season and a half turnaround at Nagoya, I was just kind of bored and actively looking for other jobs. And what I really wanted to do is I really wanted to jump to like a team outside of the european top five leagues but still in europe and like take them to like the europa league champions league group stages do really well with them and then from there go on to a top five league and i had my eyes on the belgian league and on standard liege because standard liege uh, about 10 years ago were very very good um won the belgian league a couple times Uh, did, like, regulars in Champions League, Europa League group stages, stuff like that. Uh, Whereas in-game, and I believe in real life, they're, like, a mid-table Belgian League side. And I was thinking, that's achievable. I've won the J1 League. I've won the African Champions League. I've won the South African League. I've got a pretty decent reputation at this point. I should be able to go to Stade Liege. And the job came up as well in... um, like, January, February 2029, and I went for it, and they turned me away, and I was very sad. Uh, but at this point, I was, like, fully fully committed to leaving uh, Nagoya. And so I kept my eyes out and looked for another job that looked interesting. And then the Aston Villa job became available. Aston Villa had just been relegated from the Premier League They finished rock bottom in 2028-29 on 26 points. The season after finishing seventh and qualifying for the Europa League on 67 points. The entire catalyst for this was that Emi Martinez had retired at the end of the 27-28 season, and they just didn't replace him at all. So they had no like their keeper was like a decent championship keeper. And the rest of their squad was like Europa League, but having the rest of their squad be Europa League was not enough to save them from getting relegated. Um, and they, that job was available, and they were in debt by a lot of money, and they had a load of players on massive contracts, and they just got relegated to the Championship. And I thought, you know what? That'd be a fun rebuild. So I applied for the Aston Villa job, and I got it in June 2029.
2: So when the Villa board were deciding whether to hire you or not, did they go well? Arsenal once hired a manager from Nagoya Grampus, say, and it worked well for them, so it might work well for
1: us. <laughs> Basically, yes, I think. <laughs> um, so I left. I left Nagoya in June 2029. We were top of the league with 57 points. Played 23, 118, drew three, lost two. We were six points clear. Though admittedly, the teams behind us had two games in hand, so it wasn't as wasn't as big as gap as it actually looked. But yeah, Nagoya were a title chasing team uh, in the J1 League when I left them, and the fans weren't very happy. But I had to do what was right for me, which was to move to Aston Villa.
0: It all sounds very Arsene awesome, Wenger.
1: It is. It's very fun. Um, Like, it's kind of, I am a little bit sad, to be honest, because I, like, I did really have my heart set on, like, doing another club before I went to a European top five league. And obviously the championship isn't a European top five league, but if I win the league with Aston Villa, I will be in the Premier League. So, but, yeah, we'll get there. Um, So, obviously, arriving at Aston Villa, the job was a rebuild. We were many, many monies in debt. 2029. 20, I've got a massive rebuild to do. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna walk you through the transfers that I did. So, so when I arrived at Aston Villa, I had multiple players on like 180k a week, 100 plus k a week. And I'm going into a season of the Championship, and we're like 90 million pounds in debt. And I'm like, this is not gonna work. I need. I basically walked in, and I was like, okay, anyone over 100 grand a week is getting sold. Anyone that doesn't want to be here is getting sold. I'm going to tear the entire first team to shreds and build back up a team that's ready to um, ready to win promotion to the Premier League. One player I didn't have a choice about uh, was Julian Araujo, who was on loan last season from Newcastle United and had a mandatory future fee of £39 million. Pounds. So I'm already spending £39 million pounds On my way down into the championship, on a Premier League standard right back, who I was going to have to pay seventy-seven grand a week. Good, I sold Samuel Lino, who in real life is at Atletico Madrid. Uh, He uh, he'd signed for Aston Villa thirteen million in twenty twenty-five. I sold him to Manchester United for fifty-one million pounds. Um, I sold Martin Dardai to Bayern Munich for £45.5 million, rising to £55 million. I sold Matty Cash, a 32-year-old Matty Cash, to Felabachi, for £31 million, rising to £39 million. I sold Musa Diaby, to Al Halal, for £38.5 million. I sold Hugo Eketike, who in real life is a wonderkid at PSG, to Sevilla, for £36.5 million. That one again was out of my control. He was on loan there last season. Um I sold Jurgen Strand Larsen, who Villa had only recently bought from Arsenal for fifty-one million pounds to play up front. I sold him for half that, £25 million to PSV. Um I sold Ridvan Van Yilmaz, left back to Federbachi again, that's two fullbacks to Fenerbahce for £24.5 million. That one admittedly was a tidy profit. We got him off Rangers for £14.5. Um I sold Ezri Concert to Feyenoord for £22.5 million, rising to £26. I sold Douglas DeWise to Napoli for £20 million. I sold Paul Torres, who was still kicking around at £32, to Saudi Arabia, um, Al Ahli, uh, to be precise, for £15.25 million. I sold Angelino, yes, the one off um, Leipzig and Man City and all them, uh, to Bologna. For 12, uh, 12.75 million pounds, Yuri Telemans left on a free. Omar Kader, who you may remember as the bloke that got me knocked out of the uh, AFCON with Nigeria, he was at Aston Villa uh, and he no one wanted to pay the 60 million pounds he was worth. So I loaned him to Bournemouth with like a 45 million optional future fee. Uh, he then went on to play zero games for them. Uh, He got two substitute appearances in the cup and he was very sad. So I recalled him in January and now he's gone back out on loan, this time to Monaco, who have agreed a £50 million uh, optional future fee. So that's a lot of players that I've just managed to get rid of. Uh, So you might be wondering how I replaced them. Uh, I basically like that's the entire first team squad nerdy that I have absolutely gutted. Like if I look at the team that I have, I started in my most recent game, two of them were here last season.
2: I, I have a question. Gone um, when Martin Dardai decided he wanted to leave? Did he go? Wait, you're not dad. I'm not being managed by someone who's not dad. <laughs> um, how um, no, because I
1: don't think the bloke who, who signed him was his dad either. I can't remember who oh. it actually was. But actually, let, let's find out who who did I replace at Aston Villa. Uh, managers. I replaced so funny, Sebastian Herness, who is not Martin Dardai's bad dad.
2: It would have been so funny if it was Paul Dardai. I would, I would it have would have been very laughed. funny.
1: Um, but yes, I made lots of signings. So here's the people I brought in when I became manager of Aston Villa. I signed Mike Klein on a free from PSG. Uh, in real life he's at Feyenoord. He's just a midfielder who exists, but he's a Premier League quality midfielder who I brought in as immediately the best midfielder at the club for free. Uh, I signed Spike Brits from the Manchester City Academy. He'd just been on loan at West Brom, which probably means he wasn't exactly endeared to by the Villa fans, but he's been really good for me, so I can't really complain. He's a keeper. I signed Oswin Apollos, who you might remember from last episode was my star player at Cape Town Spurs. I scouted Cape Town Spurs to see if there was anybody who might want to come and join me and Oswald Apollos was a decent championship player according to my scouts and had a fit 350 grand release clause for foreign clubs so I just went in paid my 350 grand and brought in a solid championship midfielder and winger which is excellent 28 uh, year old Oswald Apollos playing for me at Aston Villa in the championship I signed Finley Burns from Preston. Uh, So, Finn Burns in real life is on loan at Stevenage in League One. Uh, In game, Man City released him at the end of his contract. He went to Preston, played a couple of seasons of championship football, and then Preston got relegated and I picked him up for five million quid. He's like my fourth choice centre-back. I've got Hayden Hackney, who I picked up on a free from Aston Villa. Uh, Nope, he picked up on a free from Middlesbrough um Middlesbrough got promoted and then immediately relegated again for the Premier League but didn't want to keep Hackney around for another championship season for some reason uh so I was able to pick him up on a free just solid championship double stat talent come straight into my midfield uh, Leslie Ugachukwu who is the who Chelsea signed this summer in real life off REM for 23 million pounds um I signed him off Chelsea he was on the transfer list Guess how much I paid.
0: I, I want to say something like 12 million or something. Less. Eight? Less. Four? Less. No, two? <laughs> Less.
1: Half a half a mil. £750,000. Oh my God. For Lesley Agachukwu. <laughs> that is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. I mean, to be fair, in-game, he's barely played at all. Um, In 2026-27, he played 16 games on loan at Strasbourg in Lyon. Um, then he went out on loan to Blackpool in League 1 2027-28, 20, where he played a full season in League 1, then he played one Premier League game for Chelsea in 2028-29, 20, before I bought him for £750,000 and he's slotted in as just a solid championship midfielder he's lost all his like he's 25 now, so he no longer has the potential to be like a championship Champions League standard midfielder but he's still got the potential to be like a half decent Premier League player, and I signed him for 750 grand off Chelsea. So uh, mm. well done, Top Bowley.
0: Oh, by any chance, was his contract expiring or something? Like, I, I think he had one year left on his deal. Even so, 750 is a steal.
1: Uh, so yeah, that's fun. Um, the biggest transfer I actually made with my own money in the summer was signing Will Lankshire off of Tottenham, who is a... like he, he, He's like a real-life wonderkid kind of thing. Um, He'd had a couple of... He had a couple of League One loans and a championship loan, uh, but Spurs had put him on the transfer list, and I swooped in and picked him up for £10.5 million. He scored 14 goals and got three assists in 22 games for me so far in the championship for a 7.25 average rating. Uh, but in December kind of broke him a little bit by playing him too much because he was our only really good striker um and so in the last two months he's had two three to four week injuries which is sad continuing my transfers because yes there's more of course there's more um Faustino Angerin came in on a free from Millwall who picked him up on a free from Chelsea when he was released at the end of his contract so he'd been playing in the championship for a few seasons solidly um Bojan Marinkovic is a regen from Serbia who I picked up for £1.1 million and came in immediately as a championship standard left-back. Miles um, Lewis Skelly uh, is an Arsenal youth product who's played like single-digit games for the last few years for Arsenal in the Premier League, uh, and I picked him up on a free um, in like November, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, I also picked up on a free Callum Boyd-Muntz, who is a 30-year-old Scottish midfielder currently playing at St. Mirren after being released by Middlesbrough. He played basically the entire length of the save in St. Mirren, regularly in the Scottish Premier League, then, Scot- then Scottish Championship, uh, was released, and then I picked him up to be a fringe player because he would only, he only wanted five and a half grand a week, uh, and I needed someone who I could just plug in in midfield if someone got injured. Uh, and he's actually been really good. Adamo Nogalo is my final good free transfer. He's from Burkino Faso. Bay, I think is how you pronounce that. Uh, and in real life, he's a wonder kid at FC Nordsjælland in Denmark. In game, Arsenal paid £4.2 million in the first season to bring him to the Premier League. Then he bounced around on loan for a bit before going to Levante on a free in 2027. Played two games in the second division in Spain before I picked him up at the end of his contract there. Um, and geez, he's a Premier League standard centre back. I picked him up for free. He's on 28.5 grand a week. Like, he's just, again, comes straight in, Premier League standard centre back in the Championship, bosh. And that's it for the um, summer transfers. All the rest of the side is made up of uh, players that were at Aston Villa at the time, uh, the likes of Regen John McCune who is um, good. Uh, he, like, he he wanted to leave because he's a Premier League standard midfielder, uh, a winger, but uh, nobody wanted him and I wasn't complaining, so he's just been playing at left wing and getting six goals and five assists in half a season. Um, Gary Ward is a very similar player for the right wing. Um, Kev Hazlitt, who came up before we recorded, he is a natural le- left winger and st- central defensive midfielder. Weird. Um, but he, like, he's got all the stats of a ball-winning midfielder, but the game describes him as an attacking midfielder because he's got left winger uh, as a natural position he can play. Uh, but yeah, he's just, he rotates with Uga Chukwu for playing at ball-winning midfielder. Caden um, Young is a real person who came. Who was in the Aston Villa Youth Academy. Just a solid winger who could play on both sides. And Andy Crossman is a regen who is 20, and he's got 15 pace, 15 acceleration, 16 dribbling, and is ab- 16 teamwork and 16 work rate, and is absolutely rubbish at everything else. But because of that combination of things and the fact that he can play anywhere up the right flank, makes him quite nice in the championship. You just plug him in. Uh, white, he's an excellent wing back on attack. He's got two goals and four assists in 19 games. But yeah. That's that's how this has gone. I've built completely rebuilt Aston Villa in the Championship, and it is paying off. It is the 2nd of February. We've played 30 games, won 25, drawn 2, and lost 3. Uh, we are on 77 points, already 14 points clear of 2nd place Leicester uh, with a 59-goal difference. We scored 80 goals in 30 games and conceded 21. We're quite good for the championship. And because uh, this is football manager and everything's gone crazy, like the level of rebuild that I've done means that we've not even got the highest wage bill in the league anymore. Like, you know, you get that um, like wage bill post at the start of each season. Um, At the start of the season on the 3rd of September, we had the second biggest wage wage expenditure in the Skybet Championship. I brought it down from like having multiple players on over 180 grand a week to less than a million pounds a week. We were on nine hundred and seventy-five grand a week uh in September. It has now picked back up again if I celebrate uh Yeah, so we are now back up at forty eight point nine five million pounds per year. Which again, I, I don't think works out uh, over a million pounds a week. Yeah, so the club is currently spending one million one hundred eighty-three pounds four hundred sixteen per week on wages, but that is with um, some new contracts and contract clauses. So Caden Young, perfectly decent championship winger, had a clause in his contract where his contract went from thirty k to sixty k a week after playing twenty-five games, and there was nothing I could do about it. So like, I just. I had just had to keep playing him, and he's now on sixty grand a week in the championship. Which he's not worth that much money, and I'm kind of sad because I was hoping I'd be able to sell him in January and get round it. But then nobody wanted him, so I'm now paying him sixty grand a week to be my third choice, like a backup winger.
0: I mean, let's be honest; you're it's it's not awful to have that much expenditure in the championship. I think that no, it's it's quite good still. Uh, and we've
1: got an overall balance in the club of 131 million pounds, uh, which given we started with, with like, I don't know, 98, starting nearly a hundred million pounds in the red. And now we are 131 million pounds in the black, mainly through selling an entire squad's worth of European quality players. Um, I think we're doing all right for ourselves. Um, I did make a couple of tra- transfers in the January window, which is just gone. Two, in fact, I signed Carl Rushworth, who is a goalkeeper, who in real life is at Swansea on loan from Brighton. Uh, in game, he went. He was at Brighton for a bit, and then Liverpool bought him to sit on their bench. Now, I bought him off Liverpool to sit on my bench um, because my backup goalkeeper decided that he wanted to leave, uh, and then instead of leaving, which I gave him the chance to do, he decided to agree a deal to join Lazio at the end of the season. Sure. Um, but now I have three goalkeepers. So if one, if Spike Britz gets injured... Spike Britz is England's second-choice goalkeeper, by the way. Uh, if he gets injured, then I'm fine. I've got two keepers. I don't have to rely on a child. Um, my other transfer, uh, which I get, told you guys about before we started recording, was Eliseo Avramides. Who sounds Greek, but he's an Argentinian, twenty-two-year-old who I picked up from Lanus in the Argentinian Premier Division for thirteen and a half million pounds. We beat off interest from the likes of Real Sociedad and like other like top five European League sides for this guy, and for very good reason. He's come in as a he's a striker, come in as immediately star player. I think he's best player at the club. Yep, best player at the club. Um, He has 18 finishing, 15 dribbling, 13 first touch, 17 uh, technique, 17 off the ball, 15 composure, 15 anticipation, 17 acceleration, 16 agility and balance, 16 pace, 16 stamina. Um, he can't head a ball. He's only got six jumping reach and ten heading. He can take he can take free kicks and corners though, so it doesn't matter that he can't head a ball. We're never going to put him in a mixer because he's always going to be on the set pieces. Um, he is already a good Premier League Di- Premier Division player with the ability to become a leading Premier Division player, and we picked him up straight out of Argentina for 14 million pounds in the Championship. So that's why I'm not that upset that Will Lancashire is now a croc, because I've immediately replaced him uh, when in, intending to buy someone to play alongside him.
0: All in all, I'd say a a, a pretty successful start. At, uh, yes, at it's a
1: solid rebuild attempt. Oh, um, yeah. we'll, we'll see how it goes. I've been, as you know, I've been steamrolling the championship. Um, we were steamrolling the Carabao Cup as well. We had some very, very good Carabao Cup results. Um, so in the third round of the Carabao Cup, we beat Chelsea 1-0. In the fourth round of the Carabao Cup, we beat United, Manchester United 3-1. In the fifth round, we beat Everton. I'm sorry, I thought
2: Alex Tamp Brown said that Man United couldn't be in the FA Cup anymore because they're an amateur side. I'm not that
1: impressed, to be honest. (laughs) Uh, Not that Manchester United, unfortunately. In the quarterfinal, we beat Everton 5-0. But then in January, while I was doing all these transfers, we had the worst season, worst month of the season so far. Uh, Because we drew Liverpool in the FA Cup third round and in the Carabao Cup semi-final and they beat us all three times we played them in the month of January. We lost 3-1 in the FA Cup third round, 2-1 at home in the first leg of the Carabao Cup semi-final and then 3-2 away in the second leg, Uh, which was very sad because I reckon if we'd drawn anyone else in the FA Cup third round. We would have won that game and then gone into the Carabao Cup with a load of momentum uh, in the same way that we'd gone into the other games with a load of momentum and steamrolled Premier League sides. And I reckon we genuinely could have beaten Liverpool if it wasn't for the fact that everyone was sad because we'd lost to them earlier that week. But, oh well. Um, Will Lancashire was the top scorer in the Premier- in the Championship at the start of January. He is now the... Ninth top store in the Championship, but only two goals behind uh, Martin Satriano, who is top with 16 goals. Did I sell him? No, he's off somewhere else. But the the point being that we're quite good. I'm going to get promoted to the Premier League, and this save might be over a lot sooner than I thought it was going to be. Because, like, this is an Aston Villa side who, like, if I... They've got the finances still and the resources still to waltz straight back into European competition, going back up into the Premier League, even though like, I built this side to be a championship team. If I... Well, all I need to do is, like, flip a couple of the lads I signed for free for money. So, for example, Andurin, who I who I signed for free, is worth £24 to £28 million. Pounds. If I can sell him for £25 million pounds, uh, in the summer... Ben, and replace him with a Premier League quality player, then amazing. And there's like five of these guys through the spine of the team who are like two and a half star current ability players for me. But a two and a half star current ability player for this Aston Villa side is a leading Championship player. Not gonna not gonna complain about it. Uh, I I would quite like. I, I think if I was to map out how like this Aston Villa save would go. Uh, I want to do one season in the Premier League, like put them back in the top half and then like, I don't know, waltz off to a Dortmund or something Uh, and then close out the save with my next team. Um, Because I I think, yeah, I I think this might, Aston Villa may well be the penultimate team of this save. If it is, I don't know what I'm going to do next. We'll find out. But uh, yeah, by the time you next hear from me, if if I do another three seasons... I might be done with this save.
0: The question is is if Villa if you get promoted, hmm. which is highly likely, um and you you know, you go up and you do really, really, really well with Villa. Hmm. Is it a case of do you leave before you do too well with them? Or not?
1: Maybe. Like I, I... If, if I win the Premier League with Villa, I'm not going to be like sad, but I also probably go and do another, like, I'll probably leave and go and do something else after that. Like, I've, I've won the league in the other places I've been and then gone somewhere else. So, like, I, I, but to be fair, I know how hard it is to win the Premier League in FM these days because I did it with Taunton last year and it was rough. Uh, this, this team, like, I, I, this team that I've put together. I could finish top half in the Premier League with this side. Like, the the games against Carabao Cup sides weren't Games against Premier League teams in the Carabao Cup weren't fluked. were not we are genuinely good enough to be a solid Premier League side. It's just that, yeah. like. And I, I've been playing a 4-3-3 mostly uh, with Will Lankshire as the striker. Uh, but now I've got Lankshire and Avramidis, I want to go back to the 4-4 back in two. Um, the only problem being that Will Lankshire has he's played a grand total of 30 minutes of football since I've signed the other lad so and that's not because he's been replaced it's because he's been injured so i've got to stick with the 433 that's been working really well oh no what a shame but yeah after that jesus christ i've been talking for 40 minutes let's let's have a little bit of a break before we get into uh italian adventures and then head over to Chile for a bit So we're back from the break but before we go into Woodwards, I've just been reminded of something really funny about my save. So because my net spend is like negative 200 million, 250 million, something like that, like I've made that much money. I keep getting questions in press conferences being like you have one of the lowest net spends in the league. How does it feel to be operating on such a tight budget? And it's very funny because I have spent £75 million in the championship. £80 million in the championship. But but the only thing is it's been powered by selling £350 million worth of players. It's just very funny.
2: In all fairness, I'm pretty sure Wickham spent about £90 million when they were promoted to the championship.
1: Yeah. I believe you. No. <laughs> uh, Tam Brown's made a face. What's going on?
0: Sorry, I'm watching the the Boreham-Wood versus York game. Um, Boreham-Wood's left back or centre-half, 30 yards out, has a strike on goal. It it is going top bins. And York City's keeper looks like he's pulled out a wonder save, but he's got his arms wrong and he's elbowed the ball into the back of his net. (laughs) It, It is a... It is a, almost oh, it's bad. It's a terrible piece of goalkeeping. If
2: you want to make yourself feel better, you could always watch Paddy Bamford's goal against Peterborough. Everyone watch it. I know this is coming out a month after after the goal, but watch it.
0: <laughs> we're, we're, da- oh, we're dating the day that we record yeah. this podcast as the FA Cup yeah. third round. Yeah, we, we're right.
1: recording this at uh, the FA Cup third round day, and it's not um, going to come we out. Start, we started recording at half one, thinking three hours. That would be plenty of time. To get this done, sit down and watch Arsenal be in Liverpool. There's Tantman and I, obviously Arsenal fans. Um, And it's currently 24 and we haven't gone to Woodward yet. So good luck us.
2: In all fairness, I've missed the entire Peter Leeds game because I forgot it was on Sunday. (laughs) Go me. I forgot it was the FA Cup in general. I I only remembered when I woke up this morning and went, oh yeah, I think there are FA Cup games this weekend. So, big brain time. Anyway, let's talk about San Ramiz Calcio. Now, when I left you, we had just been promoted to Serie C. I can't remember how many of the signings I talked about, but the biggest shock of Season 2 was that we sold a player for money. I mean, one of our players was actually worth money to another club which was a real surprise to me because it looked like that wasn't going to happen but Vittorio Pagani a right back i'd signed on a free the year before went to Casenza in Syria for a whole get this 8000 euros wow that's that's a lot you could buy a decent bicycle <laughs> with that <laughs> <laughs> uh... Like, you know, one of the nice road bikes, maybe a Trek, maybe a Pinarello, something like that. Incredible. You, you, you can afford that with a Vittorio Pagani's worth of um, player sale. So, brilliant. Apart from that, I think I went into all of my three my signings, and to be honest, you're not going to know any of them anyway, so it really doesn't matter. So instead, let's talk about how the season went, and before I go into what happened in Serie C, I want to start off with the Coppa Italia, Lega Pro, or what I'm going to call the Coppa Italia C. So, as mentioned on the last episode, this is a, a tournament for all Serie C sides, You only get into the Coppa Italia if you're either in the top two tiers or one of the best sides in Serie C. If you're not, then you're either in the Coppa Italia Serie C, Coppa Italia Serie D or or whatever else is below that. I'm not an expert on lower tier Italian football, funnily enough, so I don't really know. But... Our first game in the Coppa Italia Series C would be away at Rimini. And I keep getting really annoyed because I'm sure i read about Rimini being really important historically recently. And I can't remember what for. And every time I see Rimini, it bugs me because I keep going, No, there there was something really important about Rimini in, in history. And I can't remember what it is. If you know, feel free to get in touch and tell us. But anyway... It didn't look like many fans were engaged in going to this game because I got an article before the match saying that the expected attendance of the game was 10. Good. 10 fans total. Now, in the end, there were a bit more. There were a whole 19 fans at the game. Well, hey? None of them were San Remese fans. And in all fairness... I do get it because this was on a Wednesday night and Italy's a very big country. So despite the fact that both San Remo and Rimini are in the north of the country, it's still 540 kilometres between the two cities. It's a upwards of six-hour drive. It's over six hours, nearly seven hours on the train. And it's, it was on at like eight o'clock at night. So if you're working... There is a zero percent chance of you making that game. It's not like you can fly there because you know you'd have to. Well, I don't know if there's a, a airport anywhere near Rimini, but for for anyone who who knows their Italian geography a bit, it's near San Marino, and obviously San Remo is near Nice, so it's nearly it's nearly in France. So, yeah, it's not a surprise that people couldn't go to that game, but we won 3-1 anyway. In the second round, we would require extra time to beat Virtus Verona, and for this game, a whole 25 fans went to, to it. So, I know, right? Still still no away, fans, but we, we did win anyway. In the third round, we would require penalties to beat Padova. Now, this one was at home, and we had... 31 fans in attendance. Excellent we love to
0: see it. We love to see it.
2: Fantastic, right? Uh,
0: fantastic. Oh, Christ. Hey, I'm
2: disappointed Brilliant.
0: in you both. In... <laughs> no, you're not. You love it, really. <laughs> yeah.
2: In the quarterfinals, attendances would spike to 58 fans, and those 58 fans, one of which was an away fan who I call Big Giuseppe, because you know if. Tam Brown's got big bats at his stadium. I might as well have big Giuseppe. You should
0: have ginormous Giuseppe.
2: Ginor Oh, you are on fire today. <laughs> ginormous Giuseppe went to watch us away at Trento, and we won four three. They were three one up, but then Elone, who I, I had in I had last year, called Hugo Cuenca from AC Milan, scored twice. In the 81st and 86th minutes, and then Daniele Rocco would score from the penalty spot in the 93rd minute to... Oh, no, sorry. Cuenca's second was on the penalty spot. Rocco scored in the 93rd minute, though, to make it 4-3 as we would go through. In the semi-finals, 240 fans would pack out Comunales San Remo. Not packed. It's a 2,000-seater stadium that had 240 fans in it. For Benevento, so obviously Benevento in Serie A recently found themselves now in Serie C. In the save,
0: I don't know. I think they're
2: in Serie B in real life, right?
0: Um, no, I Sounds think they got relegated that. out of Serie B. Oh, they? well, they might well be.
2: Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, they were relegated last season. So, so that's that's great for them. <laughs> We won the first leg 2-0. In the second leg we would draw two all. And this time there were actually fans. For the second leg of the semi-final, 9,430 fans showed up at the Cerro Vigorito. In Benevento with one away fan, of course, ginormous Giuseppe, making sure that he was at that game. It's got to be, he has got to be, it's got to be. As we will draw two all and go through to the final, where we would take on Atalanta's under 23 side. Not Atalanta, they've not fallen that far, they're still in Serie A, funnily enough. The first game would be held at their stadium, 249 fans in attendance, including, and I nearly fainted when I saw this, 79 San Remo fans. I know, right? Wow. We love it. And Atalanta would win 1-0, so maybe if they could all, all just go away, except for general Mr. Giuseppe, he's earned the right to stay, <laughs> but in the second leg, the only goal of the game would be for Sanremo, Federico Marigosu scoring in the 64th minute, Nicolas Bologna would make it 2-0 in extra time, I should, sorry, the only goal of regular time was Marigos, who was in the 64th minute, Nicolas Bologna, another player for Sanremo, who you might have forgotten, scored in the 115th minute to make it 2-0, but... In the 120th minute, Mattia Bernardello would score for Atalanta to make it 2-1, and that led to a penalty shootout. Only one player would miss their penalty, and it was Jonathan Italeng. Do you want to guess if he plays for Atalanta or for San Remo? Atalanta. Yeah, in real life he, has a, oh no, he hasn't he has played for Atalanta yet. Apparently he's going to play this year. <laughs> but he he got he got one appearance of the 2023-24 season for Atalanta in Serie A. When I was like, well, it's not it's not in real life. So San Remo did win the Coppa Italia Serie C on their first attempt. It's a bit weird that the finals two legs, but I'll take it. It meant we actually won. For, for the final at Comunale San Remo, 639 fans in attendance. So you'd just love to see. I think that was our biggest home attendance for year because apart from that, home attendance was normally in the 500s and 400s. I don't, I don't know if... I'm not going to check every... Oh, no, there were games that were bigger. We had a game with Perugia with over 1,000 fans. Ooh. I know. Absolutely shocking. So, anyway... How would we actually do though in CVC? That's a big question because at this point we've secured a playoff spot, so we will be talking about how we did in the playoffs. But before we do that, it's better instead to focus on what happened in the league. And before I before I go into how San Remo did, I want to start off by talking about how the other groups of CVC got on. So in in C Group A, Citadela would win the league with 69 points, level on points with Venezia, who came second with Padova, only one point behind. In Serie C Group C, the winners of the league would be Benevento, who we, of course, knocked out in the semi-finals. They had 66 points, one point clear of Virtus. Francavia, you know, outside side we all know and love who were very good through the season. I don't know where I was going with that point. I was just like, I said, who were? And then went, what were you going to say? <laughs> anyway, so the winners of Group A on 69 points, winners of Group C on 60, what did I say, Sixty eight I've already forgotten. It's going great. <laughs> this is what happens when you're two hours into a recording.
0: <laughs> it is.
2: But San Remo, or San Ramese, I should say, ...finished with 87 points.
0: We love to see it. Perugia
2: during our group got 90.
0: We don't love to see it.
2: The, rec- the previous record for most points in Serie C... ...was, I believe, 86 points. So we broke the record... ...and it still wasn't enough to win Serie C Group B... ...because Perugia just came along and smacked everyone... I think we actually... I don't know if we beat them both times, but I'm sure we beat them at least once. Let's see. Perugia, yeah, 2-1 win at home in that game I, I mentioned earlier. In the away game, yeah, we lost 1-0. So we we split the games against them, and that meant we would enter the CVC playoffs at the quarter-final stage. And what I didn't realise, because I, I was looking at it through the season and going, hang on, there's four relegation spots, three sides automatically promoted. How do they determine... The final spot because there's three separate groups of playoffs. No, no, there's one group of playoffs with all of the teams from all three leagues going into one battle royale, I guess, to fight out for that final spot. So that's 28 teams who enter the playoffs, I, I think, which is a really odd number, but. No, well, it's an even number, but it's, it's odd that there's 28 teams, though, who enter the playoffs to fight out. But we would enter at the quarterfinal stage and take on Catania, who have also, I believe, been in Serie A fairly recently. Yeah, 2013-14. I'm sure we had this conversation on the last episode. But in the first leg, away from home with 19,000 fans in attendance, 130 San Rameze fans, Hugo Cuenca from AC Milan would get the gold of the game, and we would win 1-0 in the second leg. Elia Petrelli, who I'd signed that season and Alisson Sidibe who had joined in the summer, no sorry in the winter from Atalanta's under 23 side, scored as well. and we won the second leg 2-0. This would bring us on to a game with a side from our own league, Ancona, who had finished 7th in the regular season. But they would win the first leg 1-0, Julian Christofferson getting the only goal in front of 2,676 fans in Ancona. For the return leg, our stadium would have 1,321 fans in attendance. And we would score the only goal of the game, Nicholas Cocola in the 12th minute. That led to a penalty shootout where the only penalty missed was from Christian Salenzi. Do you want to guess who he plays for? I want to say you. Yeah, you might remember, I talked about him in the last, I probably (laughs) talked about him in the last episode. Christian Salenzi would miss, I would immediately sell him to a Serie D side because he hurt my feelings. To be honest, he didn't play a lot that season, uh, but his penalty taking was meant to be high compared to everyone else. So, unfortunately, we were knocked out at the semi-final stage, and Kona did actually go on to get promoted as well, so... Good for them. Great. We we had what should have been the highest points total in Series E history and we lost to a side who had beat twice in the regular season and who finished seventh in our own group. Yay, I'm proud of you. you tried. Just you laugh tr- so you don't cry. You tried. I feel, I feel I'm I'm on the verge. I'm on the verge. But anyway, let's quickly move on then to the twenty twenty five-26 season. So what do you do if you have Finished with a points total that should be a record for the league where you should have been promoted but just fell short at the last minute. Well, what I did was completely demolish the entire squad. Pretty much every main player left. I think out of all of the players who I had the year before in the starting, who were regular starters, only one or two of them were still in the side at the beginning of next season. So... I kept my two midfielders. I'd signed two from Atalanta under 23s, Alisson Debe, I've already mentioned, and Jabua. And they both remained. But apart from that, the only other player who I think retained his place in the starting lineup was the new club captain, who is called Sevatelli. I, I did forget his name for a hot second because, you know, he's made that good an impact. He, he actually has. He's fantastic. But we'll get into that later on. It did help that a lot of players were highly in demand. And when I when I looked at them and I looked at who I could get to replace, and I was like, these guys are probably better. And this time, I did sell players for a lot of money. So you might remember I mentioned in the last episode an emergency goalkeeper who I'd brought in from the youth side who ended up playing quite well. Well, he was wanted by Sassuolo, and he signed for them for €700,000. I... Also sold Paolo Coley, a centre-back, to Salernitana for €450,000. He played six games and he's been transfer listed.
0: You could have bought a, sold a Diego
2: Woo! I also sold Diego Stramassioni to Sud Tirol for €400,000. He played nine games and is transfer listed. <laughs> I sold Gabriele Ingrosso to Citadella for €250,000. He's now a fringe player there, but he's not transfer listed.
1: Hey. I, it, it's really fun, isn't it? How how the game like looks at your players, goes, oh, they're doing well. I'll bring them in, <laughs> and then gives you a shit ton of money for them, and then realizes that actually they're not very good, and you were just doing very well. Yeah, It happens a lot. Uh, Sa- yeah, Savio
2: Piavuli was sold to La Havre for two hundred and fifty thousand. He played one game and has been transfer listed.
0: It's <laughs> oh, a theme. There's a theme.
2: There is. Towards the end of the transfer window, Lorenzo Colombini, who was my new captain, he'd only just been made captain for about the last six months. He he came to me saying, there's not enough depth at the goalkeeper position. I'm really unhappy about it. And a load of other players were agreeing with him. So I sold him to Pro Vicelli <laughs> for 150,000. He's played 10 games. Feminists have been transferred
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Because of course he has. I sold Daniele Rocco to Ferri Scalpo for 150,000 euros. He played one game for them and has been transferred. <laughs> At what point will players start to realise? At what point will um, clubs realise it might be me who's making them overperform? I don't know. And then I pretty much released a lot of the rest of the squad. I think I think it might have been 12 players out of 25, so half the squad's just gone because i don't like them anymore they've hurt my feelings so i had a lot of of signing to do and actually i'll just spoil it now Alisson sadibe went to palmer in the january window for 1 million euros he's not been transfer listed
0: hey.
2: yes
1: uh, that's one they did only that is more than leslie ugachuk
2: yes I think they did sign him with the intention of him being a backup, of him just being like a rotation option. And he was happy with that because at the time Palmer was second in CVB. B. So it was a good move for him. It was a good move for me because I didn't think he was gonna get significantly better than he already was. And I was able to bring in a guy called Tommaso Milanese for wow, that was a really bad attempt at an Italian accent, wasn't it? <laughs> for six hundred thousand. I had bought players before so this wasn't the first time I'd spent money but Milanese was at Cremonese why he wasn't at one of the Milan clubs is beyond me but he played seven times in Serie B and he was unhappy and wanted to move and I was more than happy to sign him because he is way better than the rest of the league apart from him I also spent money on two other players Gabriele Guarino from Empoli who was looking really good. He'd only played two games for the side in Serie a, and they were ready to move on from him. And Niccolò Armini from Potenza for €45,000. He was the guy who I brought in to replace in Grosso, who left for Citadella. Apart from that, i just signed a load of three players. Included among my favourites, Andy from Burgos, just Andy, he played one season and retired. Ryan Flamingo, I just, I, you just got, you got to love a guy called Flamingo, real person as well. He he currently in real life plays for Utrecht on loan, but he joined Catania in Serie C the year before, and then his actual club, who are Almere City, decided to release him, so I was able to get him on a free um i don't think there's is there anyone who anyone will know no i'll just i'm just going to read through the rest of the list andrea Pastori, valerio labriola oh
0: Chux alba T- Tuss,
2: i don't know how to say oh, his first chush. name alba
0: chush alba yeah. plays for um well he played for barcelona's youth system
2: he did absolutely He'd just been released by tanana mattia morelo Marine Sveko, Eric Lanini, Alessio Vaca, who plays for Juventus in real life, not in the first team. Patrick Dorgu came in on loan, Isaac Janssen came in on loan, and Diego Sia came in on loan as well. So, how did we do this year? Was this hastily assembled, mostly free squad better or worse than the side who came before it? The side who massively overachieved.
0: I I want to I want to say better, but my my head is saying worse. <laughs> worse. I'm
1: going with exactly the same, exactly like, plus the or same. minus three points.
2: So the year after played thirty eight, won thirty four, drawn three, lost one, one hundred and five points. Bad. Yes, we love it. <laughs> I mean, that's up there with the Leon seasons in terms of sheer surprise and and quality. We lost on the third day of the season and then didn't lose again after that. I think we had a point where we'd won something like 28 games on the bounce in all competitions. We were promoted in early March. (laughs) (laughs) Guaranteed as champions already. And to be honest... There were a team who picked up form at the end of the season, Askely, who are in the exact same position we were in last year because they finished on 88 points, which, again, would have been enough for the Serie C record a few years before for most points, but they still finished 17 points behind us.
0: Oh, Jesus.
2: I feel bad for them in, in, in some way. Now, I haven't played through the entire season yet, so they might still get promoted. I think they are still in the playoffs. But that's gotta hurt. And just to just to say again, in the other groups, Group A, Lecco were promoted with 62 points, so quite a way behind. And then in Group C, Barry were promoted with 70 points. So no, I'm sorry to
1: interrupt, but guys, you're not going to believe this. Um, as usual, I've been Go playing on. on in my save um, while while you've been talking, which we all do. So none of us are offended by it. Um, Remember my new striker, who I signed, and I was glad he's here because he replaced Will Lancashire, who always gets injured? Yeah. Yeah, calf strain out for five weeks. Oh dear. That felt inevitable, to be honest. He he, he still hasn't scored a goal in the league. The only goal he scored for us was on his debut against Liverpool in the Carabao Cup. He's put up an average rating of 6.57 in league football, and then got injured for five weeks. He's supposed to be like a Premier League double striker.
2: Have you checked it's not a problem with your medical staff?
0: (laughs) Have you checked it's not a problem with you? I don't think... Or you.
1: To be fair, he has played basically every game since Wilanxia got injured. But that's like four games across four weeks. It shouldn't be enough to run him into the ground like that. Is he injury prone? No, he's not even injury prone. It doesn't say that he's like good with injuries, but he's not... Injury prone.
0: Mm. Not a great sign, I suppose.
1: Uh, it's annoying, mm.
2: but it is what it is. Yeah. So, by the way, I've just checked this in the in the time that you've been talking. Sam Macy's attendance this year, you'll be stunned to hear, shot up to an average of 682 fans. That's
0: an almost 4,000% increase.
2: No, no, it was 400 last year. Oh, okay. That's the one. It's, it's only, only yeah, a it's, 10 times increase. It's only in the Copitalia Series C where we really struggle, like where only t- like, 20 fans show up, because apparently no one cares about the Copitalia Series C. Even my board, when I won it, just went. That's mm. <laughs> <laughs> great. Okay. It's almost like the trophies, they
1: say patronizingly.
2: Yeah. If you want to know, by the way, the worst attendance in the league that year, Pineto with 251 fans on average. <laughs> we had 17% of our stadium sold out. So, absolutely brilliant. Now, what I didn't realise is that because the, the season finishes early for the side who's won the Bumble league everyone else is still doing something because everyone's in the massive playoff system or fighting against relegation they have a a new thing that i think they've only brought in for this season or that they will bring in for this season in real life that they've not done before which is the super cup so the three teams who win their respective groups fight off for the grand title, I guess, because everyone plays each other once, and the winner of that wins the Serie C Super Cup, so I guess that means you were the best team in Serie C that year, and I felt confident about this because, well, you know, we'd only got 105 points in our group, which seems to be the hardest group, considering that you know, second place finished on 88 points. So I was still like 20 points higher than the winner of any other group. So we finished about 37 points higher than the two sides we were facing. So anyway, our first game would be against Barry, the Series C champions. And we would beat them 1-0 away from home. 4,500 fans in San Nicola. And of course, if you know Barry, you'll know that San Nicola is like a 50,000-seater stadium. So... That must have been that must have been great. Thirty-five away fans from San Remo went to the game. Eric Lanini, who was one of my new signings, who scored thirty-two goals in thirty-nine games, would score the only goal of this game as we would win one nil. And that meant that we knew going into the second game against Lecco, a win or the draw would be enough to win the CVC Super Cup because Lecco and Barry had drawn one all. And we did exactly right, winning 3-1 Ryan Flamingo, Eric Lanini and Mattia Morello, scoring those goals for us. We would lift the Serie C Super Cup.
1: Congratulations.
2: And whilst we're here, we might as well go into the Coppa Italia Serie C, despite the fact that literally no one cares.
0: (laughs) I care.
2: So... (laughs) <laughs> you 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 won 10 san Remo fans apparently yeah. good were you, were you at the game because the attendance was 11 for our opening fixture well, i have been <laughs> i have
0: been over to italy you know
2: <laughs> yeah so our first game was in the second round against old beer 11 fans in attendance we would win 5-0 in the third round a whole 16 fans would show up for Juve Stabia, who we would beat 4 2. Then in the quarterfinals, we would have a repeat of the final from the year before Atalanta under 23s coming into town, and we smacked them 4 1. In the semi final, we would take on Bavi, funnily enough, who we, we played in the Super Cup later on. We would win the first leg at Comunale Sanremo 3-0. We would draw the second leg to all and we would advance to the final where we would take on Pescara Calcio, who, of course, are another side who a lot of people will know. If only because they have a Dolphin badge and it's absolutely adorable. But... In the first leg at home, 1,234 fans would show up. were massive, lads. And the game would finish 0-0. In the second leg, with 5,608 fans at Pescara Stadium, the Giovanni Cornaccia, we would win 2-0. Eric Lanini with both goals as we lifted the Italia Serie C for the second year in a row and hopefully for the last year because I don't plan on getting relegated from Serie B. Something I forgot to mention during the original recording of the podcast, but which I wanted to bring up, is that our second-placed finish in our first season in Serie C meant that we qualified for the Coppa Italia and for the preliminary round in particular, so... In that round, there are eight teams, four of which are the new Serie B sides, I believe, and then the best sides from Serie C, so I think it might be the three sides who finish second and maybe the player finalist. I'm not quite sure, but they go into that round to fight for a place in round one proper. And we got that at the start of our third season, and ironically, we would be taking on Perugia. In that round. Obviously the side who beat us to Serie B promotion. And we would win that game 1-0. Diego Sia who was on loan from Hellas Verona. Scoring the only goal of the game. I've already forgotten if I mentioned him in the actual podcast. But then in the first round we'll be drawn against Serie A side Lecce. Definitely the biggest side we've faced so far by a considerable distance and unfortunately, we would lose 2-0. Ryan Flamingo, our centre-back, was sent off in the first half. And they would score once before the red card, once after the red card, as they would go through. It was a bit interesting. Lecce were playing a lot of their youngsters. And one of them was a player who they were looking to loan. And I ended up loaning him to Sam amazing a guy called Patrick Dorgu. And he ended up being one of my best players in that promotion winning campaign, would I have loaned him if I hadn't seen him put in a very good performance against San Ramese? Yes, because I didn't realise that he actually played in that game until a few minutes before recording this segment. So, yeah, it didn't have any effect. But back to the podcast. I think in the end, the failure to get promoted in our first season from C actually served us a lot of good because this side who replaced the side from that campaign are so much better that I genuinely think we could actually challenge for Serie B promotion immediately because they are genuinely fantastic. The The star players, you've already heard about Eric Lanini, who scored 32 in 39. Mattia Morello was really good whenever he played. He had a 7.14 average rating. Seratelli, who became the new captain, 15 goals and 7 assists from the wing with a 7.28 average rating. Tomato Milanese, who I mentioned was a January edition, was fantastic. 7.55 average rating, 2 goals and 5 assists in 15 games. Apart from that, Martin Sverko, who joined on a free from Bavi. Actually, no, he'd just been released by Bavi, but that was his previous club was a class above the league, 7.28 average rating. Ryan Flamingo Nicola Armini, the guy who I brought in to replace, the the goalkeeper, Costa Christos Mandas was so good that he actually got a call-up for the Greek national team whilst playing in CVC. C. <laughs> nice.
1: <laughs> which
2: either says a lot about him or says a lot about the Greek national team. I don't know which one, to be honest. But yeah, Obviously, this was a very successful season, and I am I'm genuinely optimistic going into Serie B that we could actually genuinely do something. By the way, my win percentage through this save so far, 135 games, I have a 77% win percentage, which is decent.
1: Not bad. So my win percentage is seventy four percent. So you're beating me just about. Uh, I've won two hundred and twenty eight of the three hundred and eight games I've played.
0: Decent. It's a decent level. Nice. Tom Brown, what's yours in
1: the United save?
0: Um, <laughs> I think it's something cl- <laughs> close to one percent. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not great. Wow. But that was deserved. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right moving on to chile then and to the chilean money bag save as i'm calling it as of three seconds ago i'll be honest this wasn't the easiest thing to set up because i i, I started it i said to all our managers i started signing players and out of nowhere something in a back of my head for hang on you've never checked the registration rules for the league i was about three hours into running the save at this point <laughs> And I saw that in the Chilean Primera Division, we have a rule saying that you're only allowed seven foreigners in your matchday squad.
1: You put a <sighs> bit more than that in.
2: Yeah. So I had to delete that save entirely and go into the editor and change the rules of what you allowed in your match day. So I basically made it unlimited. 99 players in the squad and they can be from anywhere, there's, there's no set rules, and so I set up the save for a second time, of course the main thing to talk about with this is the transfers, because that, that's really what we're all here for, so the current, oh I should say actually before I go into them, all signings are in US dollars, I I like to play in the local currency normally, when I'm doing a save. So that's why throughout my save this year and throughout my Germany save last year, I I say euros because I've I've set the game to be in euros. It makes it feel a bit more authentic. I did not do that in Chile because I I set the currency originally to Chilean dollars. And you might know South America struggles with this thing called inflation because everyone instantly became valued in the billions of dollars. (laughs) And to be honest, that sounds good. Oh, I signed the Kai Osaka for $100 But, like, it's not grounded in anything. No, it sounds a bit... For our European audience. So, it would have just been so confusing. With having it in US dollars, which is close to the the pound and the euro, it's a bit better. So, in dollars, the record transfer in world football... In real life, it's Neymar for two hundred and fifty one million. How many transfers in the Chilean Primera Division broke that in the transfer window? How many clubs are in the league? Sixteen. Fifteen. I should I should say when I signed players, I signed them based on the top end of their market value as given by football manager. So if football manager said a player is valued somewhere between thirty and fifty million dollars. I would sign them for fifty million dollars.
0: Sorry, sorry, I've, I've, I've just changed in the preferences my game to the Chilean pesos. Yeah. Oh my god, it's ridiculous.
2: I, I I did the same thing when I when I went to Argentina. I set the currency to the local one. Uh, I think uh, they have Argentinian dollars and it's Chilean pesos, isn't it? Yeah. So I, I did find everyone was valued in the billions. I was like, no, it's not <laughs> happening. I have no understanding of what any of this is. <laughs>
0: that is so bad. I, re- I remember a um, there was a bug in an earlier... I know this is going very off topic. There was a bug in an yeah. earlier version of FM. I think it might have been oh eight, 08, whereby um, sometimes if you... There was like a glitch where it would reset your preferences. But by that time, it would also reset into something that had almost like a... It had like the pound sterling in front, but it would change the currency. So it was displaying as pound sterling, but the currency value was something like the Malayan dollar or something like that. Oh, wow. <laughs> like I, I remember once loading it up and going... I don't think Theo Walcott's worth 300... Mi- like, what? What's going on here? <laughs> I've, I've,
2: I've signed Cristiano Ronaldo for two trillion.
0: That, that's when I learned uh, what inflation was, at the tender age of ten. <laughs> <laughs> that's a
2: really interesting way for a political scholar, almost, to <laughs> to, learn to learn about inflation. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's a really kind of weird memory, but
2: uh... it'd be like learning about voting from Grand Theft Auto or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, democracy in GTA. <laughs> yeah. But,
2: sorry, please continue. I thought so, I'd tell you that little bit. Anyway, uh, did you say fifteen? One of you said fifteen. I said fifteen.
0: had yeah, fifteen
2: to break the record. Yeah.
0: I, I was going to go something like ten.
2: So, in the end, really disappointing now based on your answers, but seven transfers oh. would break the world record. Going through all of them, starting off with the lowest Alison to Audax Italiano for $270 million. Ruben Diaz to Deportivo Neblense de for two hundred and ninety million dollars. Bruno Fernandez to Everton for three hundred million dollars, not that Everton. <laughs> Erling Harlan to Huashi Pato for three hundred million. Kylian Mbappe to Kimbo Unido for three hundred and fifty million. Mohamed Salah to Cobra Sal for three hundred and fifty million. And Bernardo Silva, the new world record signing to Deportivo de Blense for three hundred and eighty million dollars. That's a lot of money. So it's a lot of money. Total spending in the league was nine point one billion. Jesus! Wow. <laughs> US dollars. That's incredible. So you know, fairly close to the pound there. Oh yeah. It, it would probably be nine point one billion if I hadn't done anything and I'd, I'd kept it in the Chilean currency. Ta- but...
1: pop quids. How many countries have a have a GPE or whatever you call it of? Less than
0: 9.1 billion. Oh, that that's going to be in the hundreds. I think it's going to be something akin to maybe like a hundred and fifty.
2: I mean, I would have guessed. I mean, I don't know. I don't know the actual million. answer. I just, I just oh. think that'd be a fair oh. comparison.
0: Um, so GDP by US dollar millions. So, um, am I right in thinking a million million? No, a million million is a trillion, and a thousand million is a billion. Yeah yeah oh gosh oh to be fair you've only spent you know the entire um the entire gdp of togo so not that bad nine point well 9101 million but a, a, billion is a very weird concept because it differs around the world there's a yeah. u.s billion and there's a because in risk. some places it's
1: 100 billion 100 million in some places it's a thousand million
0: yeah, well, in, I think it's in the US. It's a hundred million, and then in the in the UK and the rest of the world, because the rest of the world is sane, um, it's a thousand million. Yeah, just just for the record, it's nine
2: thousand million. Yeah, so the spent. you've
0: spent the entire GDP of Togo in one transfer.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, oh god.
2: So I'll I'll go through our signings in particular. I I did start creating a spreadsheet of, every, of all of the signings I made, but because there's so many other signings, it's also kind of irrelevant, because I, I could sit here and just go through every side's signings, and there'd be so many, but I'll just go through ours. So, as dictated in the last episode, I signed Erling Haaland, Kevin De Bruyne, and Vinicius. Vinicius, by the way, came in for $150 million, but... My spending didn't stop there because after I had made my signings, I my manager also brought in Robin Cock from Leeds, which is such a such a weird move, because it sounds like one I would have made. (laughs) But he signed him for thirty million. By the way, he's transfer listing now and apparently he's going to another club for four million. But who cares when you've got that much money, right? They signed Patson Dacca from Leicester for 24 million. Gregor Kerbel from Dortmund for 60 million. Mario Hermoso from Atletico Madrid for 27 million. Nicolas Pepe for 30 million from Arsenal. Saul from Atletico Madrid for 8 million. By the way, immediately loaned Saul out to Colo Colo. So don't know what he was thinking of there. A guy from Argentina for 7 million. Leandro Paredes from PSG for 10 million. Loaned in Mattia Caldara from Milan, and signed Andreas Christensen from Barca for ninety million dollars. So a bit of spending overall. I don't know. if I don't know when he signed Christensen. Actually, did he sign him in January? No, I signed him in March on deadline day. So overall, Hwashi Pato spent eight hundred and seventy-seven million dollars, which was second most in the entire league. It. It's not too much of a surprise that Nubalense spent the most because, as I mentioned, I had two signings on that list of world record breakers themselves, including the world record breaking fee for Bernardo Silva. Let's move on to Audax Italiano. Alex Tam Brown obviously asked me to sign Pekai Osaka, Jude Bellingham and Alisson, which I did for $165 million, $250 million and $270 million, respectively. He brought in a guy called Marcelo Diaz on a free transfer. Uh, he also brought in Chiro Dominguez on a free transfer, Sebastian Luperto from Napoli, Daniele Rugani from Juventus, So I think I've signed on a save before, but I can't remember who. He,
0: he used to be a wonder kid back in the day. Mm. And it's a very me transfer, I think like... you'll
2: yeah. yeah, so clearly... As soon as I put Alex Tam Brown into the game, the game knew immediately who to sign for him. And then also Joaquin Correa from Inter for $8 million. But my favourite signing came for $14 million. In a side containing Bakayo Saka and Jude Bellingham and Alisson and Vagani and players like that. Who was the starting centre forward? Patrick Bamford. Ah, oh, but you're close.
0: Oh, no. Is it like someone. <laughs> Oh god, it's gonna be a human bean pole, in it? Um... It's Chris Wall. Oh fuck off.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Amazing. Have you
0: signed for fourteen million.
2: Incredible. I want to cry.
0: Wait, wait. Oh yeah, no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ruin something. 'Cause we talked about it off
2: off off air. I already don't know what it is.
0: You you mentioned that one of us had done something very silly.
2: Th- yeah, it was that.
0: Oh, God, man. <laughs> <I> th- <laughs> that was
2: it. I you- that's what I was thinking but of. When you
0: were talking... Because for- earlier, Alex Woodward had told us um, and pre-briefed us that one of us had signed someone and it made no sense whatsoever. And I thought, okay, well, I've not got any forwards. So that's, <laughs> that, that's that makes sense. I've signed... Oh, okay, I've signed Chris Wood. I've not got any forwards. Which means Alex Towles has then gone and signed two strikers, which is completely stupid. But no... I mean,
2: I'll let you decide whether you think Alex Towser's transfers are stupid. But as he asked, I signed Kylian Mbappe, Gabriel Martinelli, and Aurelien Chalmene. Mbappe for 350 million, Chalmene for 100 million, and Martinelli for 250 million. So the other signings he made Huang Hee Chan from Wolves for 25 million. Okay. Mason Holgate from Everton for 12 million. I, I love that. <laughs> I love that he signed Holgate. Musa Gineppo from Southampton for five million. Why is he
0: signing more oh. forwards?
1: I don't know. I I've got I One, need to have like a ridiculously stacked forward line and then no back line whatsoever. Yeah.
0: And then Mason Holgate at the back. Yeah. Right, okay.
1: Yeah. Juan Jordan
2: from Sevilla for 5 million. John Salas from another Chilean side for 57,000. And then he loaned Jürgen Saavedra from Audax Italiano. So that was an interesting move because he played one game, came off the bench, got a 6.6 rating, and now no one cares about him. So out of our side, Alex Towles was expected to finish 14th with that squad. So, that's the season preview as it currently stands because I I don't know what it was like. I thought, I'm sure King Unido were far higher up the league at that point. I'm sure they were like seventh when the transfer window short. But other signings, uh, there's a limited transfer window that opens in Chile in the summer, which I think is to counteract the European transfer window. So, if, if you sell a player to Europe, you're allowed to bring somebody in to replace him and i think that might have done you dirty essentially audax Italiano were expected to finish sixth and huashi pato were installed as the pre-season favorites i think it's because out of all of our managers mine really didn't stop spending after i'd bought in my place he was like no keep bringing him in keep bringing (laughs) him in whereas your signings afterwards were a bit budget yeah. compared, compared to mine. I mean like, he's not wrong.
0: Like we, we yeah, spend I, I, real... I spent ninety million <laughs> he's, on Christiansen. He's, he's, Sixty million on Kerbal. He's he's not wrong, but have you noticed the theme that's been going since the the Going Deutsch save and the Chile save where his team always ends up doing so well.
2: <laughs> no no in, in in the Going Deutsch save I was because Union Berlin were promoted first and I just I bought those players in myself. <laughs> Um, and they were a newly relegated side, which did help. Bath fact, the towels nearly relegated to newly relegated sides. <laughs> There's no rivalry here, but I'm better. Yeah. Anyway. So we we know this. You've got a 77% win percentage, and I've got a 74%. It's mathematically
1: proven. Peru- yeah.
2: Absolutely. So let's talk about the sides who went down from the Chilean Premier League Division in the end. Oh, Higgins. Were the first side relegated 21 points from 30 games? Despite the fact that I had signed for them, Declan Rice, Jack Grealish, and Kyle Walker for a combined 250 million. They were my three signings I made for them. Apart from that, their spending, I think, was the lowest in the league at 320 million dollars in the end. So, yeah, they only spent 70 million more, only right. Oh, sorry, actually, no, I did buy another player for them because midway through the save, I I put myself in charge of the Chilean national team, thinking it would help me look at the league more. It didn't, but it's Ted Lasso, technically. So when I was looking at the Chilean squad, I was like, oh my God, how did I forget? Why did I not sign him for a club? I know Higgins was struggling with goal scoring. So I was like, I'll sign him for them. I signed. Ben Brereton Diaz because of course Ben Brereton has to play in Chile in this save because it's it, it's obvious right I mean despite the fact that he can't score for toffee in real life and he looks like he's forgotten how to kick a football since joining Villarreal I mean honestly it, it's genuinely like I saw somebody on Reddit say this and it's so true it's like watching a granddad try and kick a football like it's like he can't. You can do it. You can
0: watch him a bit closer to home as he is just signed for Sheffield United.
2: now. Oh, I, 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 I am fully aware of that. It's, it's admitting failure on all sides. Yeah. So, oh, great shit. for Ben Brevett. I was so excited for that signing as well. I was really. Get, I, I watched the first game via had this season purely because of Ben braverton and Diaz, and nothing. Just nah. absolutely nothing. Yeah. So they they went down in the end. The other side who went down, this is where it gets very interesting. So technically, the side who were relegated alongside them were Kuriko Unido, who in the summer spent seven hundred and forty one million, which is, is an, an amount. And they were expected to finish fourth. They had signed Manuel Lanzini, Kareem Belarabi, Alejandro Garnaccio, Enzo Fernandez, Lautaro Martinez, Lisandro Martinez, Geronimo Rulli. I mean, that's a bad idea in all fairness. Stuart Armstrong, Dan James, <laughs> Evo Gerbich, and Paolo Dybala. So they'd spent a lot of money and had done precisely nothing with it. But... It turns out there was one rule I did not overturn because I didn't notice it in the pre-game editor, so I I didn't remove it, which was that I think it's 70% of all of your minutes have to have a certain number of under-21s in them. Oh, goodness. If you fail in this, which is like the ultimate football manager rule, I think we'd all be absolutely fine, right? If it was us genuinely managing these squads. If you break this rule, you get a five-point deduction at the end of the season. (laughs) Right. Seven teams out of the 16 broke this rule. Included in that was Alex Towles' Coquimbo Unido, Colo Colo, Union La Calera, Deportivo Nublense, Deportes Copiapo, Palestino and O'Higgins. And because... Who who was it who I said?
0: Alex Towles. It was me.
2: And because Curico Unido had not broken this rule, Palestino were relegated... In their place, Palestino also had a few really good players, including Kieran Trippier, Joe Ellington, Romelu Lukaku. Okay, eh, players, I guess. They definitely didn't do well. Luke Shaw, Joe Joe Roden. every Leeds players in this save. <laughs> I I didn't sign any of these. What
0: happened to Leeds? That's the question. Are they got relegated? I
2: assume like just everyone wanted to leave Leeds. Why as well? Um, Well, the thing is, so, obviously, starting a save in South America is weird because the Chilean season begins in January. So, this save started in December 2022. Everyone's in the league they are for the 2023-24 season, but they essentially do nothing or until this season starts. So, Leeds are currently midway through their championship season. They have had 152 million. Oh, no, that's not them. They have actually spent more than they... They signed Luke Thomas for 43 million in the championship. (laughs) What's going on? (laughs) It's chaos. It's chaos. Everything's chaos because I've made Chile a world superpower. Leicester entered the season as the as the favourites. They they did not sign anyone for anywhere near that much. They they signed Perode from Southampton for twelve million dollars, but a lot of their players were were sold to, funnily enough, Chile, and also Luke Thomas to Leeds for forty three million because you know why not? Leeds actually lead the way They're on forty three points. Leicester are on forty one. So clearly Luke Thomas is working for them. But, yeah, because of that points deduction, Palestino were relegated in the place of Curico Unido, who ended up finishing 12th instead. Just because now, of that rule? Yeah. Oh, wow. Now, the the best example of spending in some places and neglecting to spend in other places is probably Union La Calera, because... They signed a lot of players too. Included in that was Ryan Fraser from Newcastle. It gets better. Gianluigi Donnarumma, Vitinia, Lionel Messi, Leque from Athletic Club, Matteo Politano, Michael Keane, Edgar from Leo Betis, Denis Suarez from Salta Vigo, Patrick from Lazio, and Vinicius Tobias from Shakhtar. With all that in mind, who's the starting forward?
1: Chris
2: Wood. No. Chris Wood's at Alda. I know that. One. Uh, pa-
1: is it Patrick Bamford? It is
2: Patrick <laughs> Bamford. <laughs> 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 Playing up front for the side with Lionel Messi in it. Good.
1: Oh my God. I mean, based on today's showing, he does deserve it.
2: Yeah, he absolutely deserves it. And he did actually play well as, as well. Um, he He had eight goals with a. 7.1 average rating, 9 assists as well, which, when you've got Messi on the side, probably helps. So so he, he did actually do quite well. That brings us on to the big question, Ben. Out of our three sides, who did worse?
1: Me. I'm the only one with a five-point detection. It has to be me. Tom Brown, do you want to guess? Well... Well,
0: you said towels was almost relegated, but spared I, because people had points deductions.
2: No, 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 I didn't. What? I, I said that Kuriko Unido were nearly oh, relegated. Sorry. Not Sorry, I now realise I'm really, really close. Not Kakimbo Unido, Kuriko Unido.
0: Oh! My
2: bad. Right. I should have probably stressed that. Because <laughs> I heard you say that, like when, it, when I heard you say towels, I was like, what do you mean towels? No! Yeah, no!
0: Oh, right, bloody hell. Um... No, I'm going to say me. I'm playing Chris Wood up top. And right. you are right. Playing Chris Wood
2: <laughs> is not a good idea, it turns out, in the Chilean Primera division. Um, you did well. A sixth-place finish means you have qualified for the Copa Sudamericana. 43 points from 30 games. Bikai Osaka, the second-best player in the league based on average rating, 7.64 overall. So, so that's really good. Sixth place, you can be happy about that. Me and Talus came in the top two.
0: Nice. I'm just, I'm just glad that no one's been sacked. You know, I just, no, I'm no gonna, one has I'm been gonna sacked. Play, I'm going to play the conciliator here. You know, <laughs> <laughs> after, after actually, the, after the first time, last time.
2: I should probably, I should probably mention that because I've got loads of stuff written down and I've just forgot to mention it. By the way, I mentioned that Saul was loaned to Colo Colo by me. Colo Colo had signed Harry Winks for six million and loaned him to—I can't remember. I think it was one of the Premier League clubs in the end, maybe Fulham, and they never played him. So good for him, I guess. There were a few managers sacked. I didn't actually. I was going to originally um, put like really big name managers into the league alongside us so like Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, Carlo Ancelotti, people like that. I didn't in the end. But a few managers were sacked, and the names who came in. Were somewhat big. They weren't the biggest names, but included in the managers who who came in. Marcelo Gallardo went to Universidad de Chile. Jorge Sampaoli went to Palestina, who of course, relegated. And Gabriel Hinsey, who manages Newell's Old Boys in real life. And, of course, used to play for the likes of Manchester United and Real Madrid. He went into O'Higgins, who were also relegated. The the manager of Universidad de Chile, at the start of his save, I don't know if he still is in real life, is Mauricio Pellegrino, who you might remember. Uh, they uh, He was hired by Southampton because they thought Pellegrino sounded close to Pochettino, and therefore <laughs> he'd be a perfect replacement. Unfortunately, he wasn't. But he was at Universidad de Chile, and they, they sacked him and replaced him with Gallardo, who is a better manager, or was anyway. Where is he now, Gallardo. Is he still just like rejecting every club in Europe? Or did he go somewhere? Uh. So, who won the league then? Towels or myself?
0: Uh, Considering Woodward's um, controlling this situation, I'm going to say Woodward. Agreed. I mean, I would argue
2: that the reason I won the league was because I actually spent a lot more money than Towels did. But yes, the points deduction actually didn't come into it by the end because I won the league by three points and then Taos had his five-point deduction, so that meant I won the league by eight points. But Hwasi Pato did win the league. Out of interest, obviously, Haaland and Mbappe are playing for our two clubs. Who scored more goals? Mbappe. Mbappe is correct. Mbappe got 28 goals for Kikimbo Unido. Haaland got 22 for Hwasi By the way, the best player in the save, Mo Salah, who I signed for, Cabrasal, got a 7.68 average rating. Not bad. Courtois was the best goalkeeper with eleven clean sheets for Colo Colo. Oh, actually, Donnarumma also got the same for Unión La Well, who needs clean sheets when you got Patrick Bamford banging them in up front every week anyway, right?
0: All, I mean, all I'm all I'm saying is, you know, with. With Woodward controlling the league as he does, and towels not sticking to the league's rules, in sixth <laughs> I have the moral victory this season. <laughs> you put Chris Wood up front. You don't have moral anything. I didn't have points deductions, nor did I overly spend uh, money. I have I have got the moral victory here. So just say, um,
2: Kakimbo Unido spent seven hundred forty-two million dollars. Aldax Italiano, 711, and Huashi Pato, 877. So, I was the big spender, though. We we all were big spenders, Hmm. like every other team in in the league. So, yeah. And just to say, next season coming up are Santiago Morning. Morning. I love that. I I love that. Do they only play in the morning, do we think, or do they actually play in the afternoon?
1: No idea. And
2: the other side, Rangers de Talca who are from the city of Talca, which is a famous city in Chile, I think. I'm sure there's something really famous that happened in Talca at one point, but I can't think of what it is.
1: No idea what you're on about, to be honest.
2: My Chilean history, I'll be honest, is lacking. And I just have to interrupt again from the editing booth, because as well as forgetting some parts of my San Vamese save that I wanted to talk about, I also forgot about some parts of the Chilean editor save that I wanted to talk about as well, because, you know, I'm super memorable and stuff. But, obviously, Chile has a cup competition, the very well-named Copper Chile. I mean, what else would you call it in all fairness? And none of us did well in that. I was knocked out in the second round by a second-tier side Universidad de Concepcion. Alex Tamp-Brown would be knocked out in the quarterfinals against Palestino, of course, were relegated in the league at the end of the season. That was on penalties, and they would do the same to Alex Towles in the semi-finals, beating his Coquimbo Unido on penalties as well. Would Palestino carry that momentum into the Copa Chile final and win the competition? No, they wouldn't. Furthermore, they would lose to Curico Unido, the side who were originally relegated on their points total, but were saved because of Palestino's five-point deduction that we talked about. Alejandro Garnacho with a good finish to win the game for them. Was this game well attended? Well, it was packed. The stadium was full Weirdly, though, the game where the final was held was the Tierra de Campeones in the city of Iquique. Probably pronounced that wrong, but it's a 13000 seat stadium. There are significantly bigger stadiums in Chile, but this is where the final was held. Now, it does seem to move around on a yearly basis, but... Yeah, I don't know why they're holding it inside a 13,000-seater. Maybe that's all you need in real life, but it feels like the clubs in Chile with their reputation boost are going to need to start building new stadiums very quickly. I did boost all of their maximum attendances to 150,000. I think I mentioned that on the podcast. Speaking of attendance, I did look at that as well. And despite the fact that all of these teams have 200 reputation, I, I didn't touch... The part of the editor that allows you to change current attendance. So all of the attendances perhaps unsurprisingly stayed where they were before. Despite the reputation boost. If it continues to be the same through future seasons. Then I might just manually change it. So, when it comes to our teams, the worst attendance was from Audax Italiano, Alex tamp Brown side. 7,599 fans, which is 63% of capacity. Hwashi Pato had 8,503 fans, which is 80% of their capacity. Meanwhile, Kakimbo Unido, just storming away with the title for our sides, 14,455 77% of capacity. The best attended team, not a surprise to anyone who knows their Chilean football, Colo Colo, with 32,158, which is still only 68% of capacity. The worst attended team in Chile were Union La Calera, with obviously Lino Messi and Patrick Bamford playing for them. Just 3,843 fans on average, of their capacity. I mean, it's still significantly better than the Saudi Pro League, but that's not saying much. Shocking that more people don't want to watch Lord Patrick Bamford play. I am, I'm frankly disgusted. Anyway, to talk about continental competition, of course, Chile competing in the Copa Libertadores and Copa Sudamericana. And maybe it's not a surprise with the amount of spending that I had, that Chilean sides won both in the Copa Libertadores. Deportivo Nublense would beat Flamengo three-one in the final. Meanwhile, Cuico Unido would win the Copa Sudamericana despite barely surviving. So they had a double in the end, winning both. The Copper Chile and the Coppa Sudamericana. So, a great season for them. The only one of our managers who was in continental competition was Alex Tamp Brown, but Audax Italiano were knocked out in the semi final of the Coppa Sudamericana by Sao Paulo, 3 1 aggregate. And of course, Sao Paulo would go on to lose the final of the Coppa Sudamericana to Curico Unido. I didn't mention this at the time to Towels and Tab Brown and hopefully I'll remember to tell Towels because he's the one who needs to know, but I'm going to publish that spreadsheet. I'm going to fill it with more information before the podcast is uploaded and then you'll be able to go and look at more information surrounding the Chilean save and what I didn't mention, like all of the top goal scorers, all of the qualifiers for continental competition and other such information like that. So hopefully that will be in the description to this podcast. Speaking of, back to the regular podcast. So yeah, a really good season of The the Save and obviously I'm going to continue spending through season two. Is there anything you want to know about The Save apart from that?
1: Did anyone sign Nick Makuti? Oh, that's a good idea. I
2: never thought about that. (laughs) Oh, I'm He's definitely signing for someone next year. Um,
1: fun fact, Nick McCutty has left Taunton Town in real life to go to ASC oh. Um No, never mind, I hate no, him. not ASC Fylde, he ate town, that's okay. it. Um, okay, that's less bad. He, because Taunton are having really terrible financial issues in real life because their stadium keeps getting flooded, so they haven't played a home game in months, so they are basically out of
0: money. Another fun fact, a lot of things have happened in, in Chile, The city played a role in Chile's independence. There was the uh, siege of Talca and the two battles of Cancha Rayada. But Bernardo O'Higgins signed the Chilean Declaration of Independence in Talca. But what most people will probably know was that it was partially destroyed in the 1928 Talca earthquake and the 2010 Chile earthquake. So that's it. There we go. (laughs) Yeah, it would have been the earthquake, yeah. And I knew I'd heard
2: about Talca from from something yeah i
0: just couldn't remember what it was It it's set near the epicenter of an 8.8 magnitude earthquake and half Oof. like much of the historic town center was destroyed so it's nice to see them getting getting what they want which is primera division football
2: yeah not an earthquake
0: yeah and it's just so nice to see all these teams spending all that money when it could be sent to earthquake relief funds. So Alex Woodward, you should be even happier about all the money you've spent. <laughs>
2: it's a real model victory for me. Um by the way, I don't think Nick McKit is in the save because I, I don't have the English leagues loaded passive oh, championship. Shame. Right, so this brings us on to the final part. I thought we'd each sign two players each to lead our transfer policy going into next season. So I I've, I've sent you your your squads and we're going to do it in snake draft order but reverse starting with the worst team. So Alex Tan Brown gets first pick on on new players. Essentially what I want you to do is to say what positions you want to sign and I'll tell you which players are available.
0: Okay. So
2: because if if you want to, you can sign a player from a fellow Premier Division squad, but then that will mean you can only sign one player. That's for rule. Okay. Or two players from overseas.
0: Two players from overseas. Um, I would like a centre-back, please. A
2: centre-back, okay. Um, I'll just tell you who the highest rated centre-backs are, based on their transfer value. So you could sign John Stones from Manchester City, Marquinhos, Araujo, Delict. Militao, Varane, Upamecano and Kunde. i
0: I'm going to go
2: with Araujo, please. Araujo, okay. Right, Tiles, you get next pick.
1: What's the uh, full-back situation looking like? So right-backs and left-backs.
2: Right-backs and left-backs, okay. Alexander-Arnold, Terra Hernandez, Giovanni Di Lorenzo, Reece james Aleandro Balde, Alfonso Davis, and Julian Timber.
1: Okay. And in goal.
2: In goal. Did I sign a keeper? I can't remember. Oh, I sent you your squad list. Oh.
1: You sent it on the messenger, sorry.
2: In goals you have Sanchez, who I don't know. I'm sure he's great. Um, yeah. Tell me about goalkeepers. Mike Mannion, Yana Black, Diego Costa. And to Stegen?
1: Uh, I will take Magnon and John Stones, please.
2: Oh, no, no, you can only have one at this point. Oh, okay. Magnon. Okay, it's now my two picks as we snake back round. I think um, the two players I want, and granted, I have had more time to, to check this because I was doing it whilst you were talking about your save, I'm going to sign Alfonso Davis and Martin Erdegaard because I know that mid's a problem for me, and that Erdegaard is still at Arsenal, because I've been sat there going, I really should sign Erdegaard for someone, and then just didn't. Okay, it goes back round to towels. Do you want to keep um, John Stones as your pick?
1: Bearing in mind, no, no, your okay. manager will sign <laughs> other players. Yeah, I, so. I know, but I kind I kind of want to swap to Trent, but I know I'm going to stick with John Stones. Stones, Okay.
2: And Brown, your final pick.
0: I'm so glad you said that. I'm going to take Trent Alexander-Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is going to be a
2: rivalry now. We're going to have to see who does better between Stones and Alexander-Arnold. But yeah, that's, that's a good... Let's just say I sign each for 300 million. It's, you know, money's not an object, right? <laughs> and It's not like earthquake funds need filling up with any money. So... <laughs> We're already a a good 1.8 billion into spending for the next transfer window.
0: Hopefully that spending keeps going. Stealing earthquake relief funds, what a I'm not stealing
2: earthquake relief funds. That is not a sentence I was expecting to say over the course of this podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's your title, we're not stealing earthquake relief funds.
2: On the latest episode of the Thousand Hours podcast, which which member of the team is accused of stealing earthquake relief funds?
1: Uh, tonight, Woodward steals earthquake relief funds.
0: <laughs> oh dear God. Uh,
1: what, what a great
2: accusation to let, turn the episode on.
1: Absolutely. And I think it is time to end the episode because we have missed our target by quite a ways. Arsenal and Liverpool have been playing for like 25 minutes at this point and we're still on this little podcast. Fortunately, touch wood. I'm pretty sure it's still nil-nil. But thank you very much for listening to this uh, behemoth that is almost certainly in two parts because we are... Approaching the three-hour mark on this recording, which means it's definitely going to get split into two halves, I'm almost certain. Um, we will be back at some point in the near future. I, I, I said near future, that's wrong. Eventually, we will record another podcast. I will make no promises as to when that will
0: be. Um, thank you, Tom Brown. Thank you very much. And just to sign off, um, my new regen goalkeeper, Hugo Shirtliff has uh, got an injury. Good. Lovely. Thank you, Whopperd. <laughs> Hugo shirt
2: shirtless. That sounds like you've got a boss t-shirt on and you've thrown it into the air. Gracias.
1: And I will sign off with the immortal words. Patrick Bamford is a football god. Cheers.
2: Adiós. <laughs> Adios. Adios.